Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back inside the Wrestling Warzone, Reminded Wars Podcast Retrospective Series. I am JT, and joining me as ever is my partner in this journey, and that is Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Uh, happy to be here, especially after the flight from hell. <laughs> <laughs> was Bradshaw on the flight? Uh, all I needed was uh, Naked Ric Flair to uh, complete <laughs> the uh, ensemble. But yeah, no, it, that's... That's the first time I've, I mean, I've been, I've flown in a couple storms, had, you know, like brief dips in pressure, mm-hmm. but, um, that, that was rough. I, I never experienced that where at the gate, they like, once the plane came in, they basically scooted everybody off as fast as they could and got us on as fast as we could to try to get us to take off. And then, um, and then uh, it was pretty rough for about 15, 20 minutes in the air. Uh, I will say I thought the pilot did very good because mm-hmm. we were mainly, you could tell we were getting whipped sideways right. with the wind. So we were going left to right a lot, but not a lot of like big dips and pressure. Um, that so, is insane. That's scary shit. Yeah, I, I feel was, like it wasn't even that bad of a storm either. I mean, it was just like, it was heavy rain, but it wasn't like a, you know, hurricane or like a tropical storm or anything like that. Yeah. It was it was real intense for like a few like once it was like one sail that was really rough because right. once we got through that it was good probably like fifteen minutes it it was just interesting because you know like with flights like most people are sleeping and right very like calmed out and there was a definite like <laughs> buzz on this one like right, right. was kind of mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, well we almost got like we got like over a half a foot of rain here which is pretty insane especially since it hadn't really rained much like for months and now it was like like, you know seven or eight inches in one uh basically in one day so it was definitely pretty crazy like the highway not near where we would have been but the highway closer to providence was like completely shut down in both directions and flooded and everything there were cars stuck for hours um on 95 and everything so we definitely got pummeled pretty good here with that with that rain crazy but you get you get the best weather we've probably had in like a month and you left ready to get nasty so yeah yeah and came home to good weather too so oh there very go. good very good uh i also will have to wonder was there good weather on october 21st 1996 <laughs> uh as we head into fort wayne indiana for tonight's edition of monday night raw it is the night after in your house buried alive and we have a pretty big show on tap it was really well hyped over the last couple of weeks, they built up to uh, two real major angles, and uh, one's kind of a match slash angle, but it's the return of Mr. Perfect to the ring to take on Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and we'll also have the return of Bret Hart, who will be live on DOTAF television for the first time since WrestleMania 12. Of course, he's done a couple of canned appearances, but this is really his return after signing his new contract. Um, they played up as if, you know, he's coming in on sure, but obviously he was, he was signed or they wouldn't have him on TV here. So, uh, let's get into it. Anything you want to preface with? Are you feeling, feeling like we're ready to dive in? I'm ready to go. I mean, like you said, it's been well, uh, hyped. So I, I was interested to see how the execution was considering I did like the go home episode overall. And, um, 
you know, we talked about with the pay-per-view. I mean, the pay-per-view certainly wasn't a slam dunk, but it wasn't awful either. So right. maybe uh, gaining a little bit of momentum. So we'll see if they're able to continue that. All right. Well, let's dive in. We open with Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler narrating a package about the returns of Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. I, I thought it was kind of fitting that they've been tied together, given their history in the ring together, uh, that they both make the return on this night. We then get our opening animation. We head inside to Fort Wayne and uh, right to the ring. Vince, of course, like I mentioned a second ago, he's back in the booth alongside King. We talked about this quite a bit uh, a couple episodes back. Right. That our new fall season broadcast team is already gone. That was Kevin Kelly, Jr. and the King. Um, Jr. obviously had a big deal about it. Kevin kind of was angsty, but let it slide. Last we heard from him. So Vince returns to the booth, and they, they kind of hyped that up, too. That's kind of number three on this night. Uh, they really talked it up a lot of Buried Alive, too, that he was coming back to take over his main play-by-play role. Um, any comments before we get into the opener? Yeah, I mean, this. so this is kind of the first of what we'll talk about throughout this show, but there's an interesting theme that uh, carries on throughout the show, I thought, where... The stuff that hadn't been working, uh, you saw them tweaking it, which to me is also a nice uh, signifier of progress. And it's it's been enjoyable to see. And I think there's a lot of cool duality to uh, 2022 wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, modern day, which is wild. But you know, on the on the WWE side, you you are seeing some of those uh, kind of baby steps progress steps whatever being taking place now with uh triple h back into power um some improvement of the product overall so so it kind of parallels in many ways i think what we're seeing here definitely lots going on chaotic um and i mean this is a good thing for wf for raw because really for the better part of a year the bulk of raw has been kind of boring and and predictable and paint by numbers so we're finally getting to a stretch now where like stuff is happening and yeah it feels kind of crazy at times and kind of all over the place but at the very least we're getting things we're we're jamming stuff in we're filling the 45 minutes we're hyping toward pay-per-views it feels a lot more um at least like it's something to look forward to because what could happen versus in the past you kind of knew all right we're on week three of a um you know four week taping and it's just the standard squash squash one big match blah blah blah, right so yeah like even an angle that wasn't you know it wasn't awful but like the bulldog sean stuff i mean you got to think that went from the first of may yep till i mean even some of it bled through to like international incidents so Mm -hmm. i mean it was it was months of just them together yep Nice to see some stuff getting uh, Mixed brought up. up that's different. Yeah, yeah sure. All right, so get to our opening match, and then a psycho Sid taking on Owen Hart. We get a fired up Vince hyping up Sid big time as he preps for Survivor Series and his big title match. The King wants Brett to retire here tonight, but Vince says he ain't so sure that's going to happen. Owen heads out with Clarence Mason. He's got his tag title. He's got his slammy. Uh, he's really on a roll right now, and I think it's a good idea to showcase him on Brett's return night and kind of you know, maybe subconsciously sets the sets the table, gets the pallet wet for Brett. Uh, the crowd's all in on Sid. He uses his power early. He's chucking Owen to the floor with ease. Owen mounts a comeback. It's a missile drop kick and knocks Sid to the floor with a clothesline. Vince recaps Sid's match with Vader. Bulldog heads out, but Sid clocks him and grabs his throat, which allows Owen to sneak around and take out Sid's knee, going to break. Doc shills a superstar line. Of course, we get Lex Luger's WCW theme that was used mm-hmm. over the superstar line. 
see uh, some generic production music. And option six, Jim Ross will tell us why Sid will be the next WWF champion. Owen works the legs to come back from break. Vince Schill's Survivor Series tickets. King hypes up the big returns tonight. Brett, Mr. Perfect, and Vince McMahon. Sid tries to mount a comeback, but misses a leg drop. Owen goes back to the leg. Sid again powers up and loads a powerbomb, but he's slow to do it. And Bulldog comes in for the disqualification. Sean comes out and makes a save, but gets a bit of a tepid pop. Uh, the crowd's not too psyched for the finish, the DQ finish, or to see Sean, honestly. Sid and Sean bicker after the clean house. Uh, the match, I guess, was okay. The leg work was on point. Owen was focused and sharp. The Bulldog stuff was pretty good, too. They keep growing as a team and, and working well together. I thought the end kind of stunk. Uh, let's give Sid a win before Survivor Series. I think he looks silly, you know, sitting there waiting for the powerbomb, uh, waiting for Bulldog to DQ. Like, I know Owen's a tag champion, but Sid's the number one contender. I think we can feed Owen to him. If we feel like we can't, uh, at least give us a uh, put someone else in this role that Sid could squash to get to get a clean win, and maybe Owen and Bulldog attack him after the match or something if they want to make their mark, uh, or at least let Sid hit the power bomb and Bulldog pulls the ref out or something, right? Just give, give me something more than ambiguity because Sid really needed, uh, I think, to look strong. He beat Vader, come out the next night on Raw and destroy somebody. Not working a match where he gets his leg worked, and yes, the match may be fine, but I find it to be counterproductive overall. Two and a quarter. Uh, I went two or three quarters. I thought it was pretty spirited. Uh, actually more spirited from Owen's side than what I've kind of come used to seeing on 96 Raw. Uh, I thought he uh, bumped well in the beginning, sending Sid to the outside. And then when he clips the knee of Sid, uh, that was well done. Uh, looked like he really kind of uh, killed Sid's <laughs> knee. It really buckles uh, once he gets that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sid had a rough showing at Buried Alive versus Vader. I thought his strikes and overall kind of ring positioning and presence was better in here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The finish, it, it's a little weird. I don't think they kind of, they're kind of going back and forth on how much Owen needs to be protected and whatnot. So it's, it's a little bit of inconsistency there. Mm-hmm. And with Sid being in the world title match, he, yeah, I mean, if he'd have went, if he'd have won this match, I don't think it would matter, you know, to Owen. So he could have won. But overall, yep. I thought it was a pretty fun opener. Sean running out at the end, uh, kind of again like a very minor tweak, but I thought he kind of had a more uh, refined look, I guess, and what he was wearing. He had like a polo and some yes. nice pants on. Um, ponytail was tied back. And uh, and I did like the little pull apart with him and Sid where, you know, they kind of they had like a little bit of an argument. But then at the end, you got the gist of like, you know, oh, Sid was kind of like Sid in the beginning. It was like, I don't need your help. But then by the end, it was like, well, I'll help you out if you ever need it, too. So they're they're still kind of on the same page, but stuff still keeps uh, bubbling up a little bit. So I enjoyed that as well. All right, Vince to the King dramatically walk us through stills of Undertaker versus Mankind from last night while all for two, oh, Fortuna plays, including the post-match assault and the debut of The Executioner. We then head back to the ring, uh, hopefully for the last time ever, for this tag team pairing of the Godwins taking on the Smoking Guns. Uh, if this is the last time we see this match, it's been, it's been an honor to cover all these with you, Chad. <laughs> uh, the feud of 96 for sure. They've pretty much been positioned as the top two teams uh, for the bulk of the year with the Bidonas and the Rockers kind of rounding things out until Bulldog and I went stepped up. 
The guns come out. They're a little despondent. JR comes into the booth and Vince busts him up about his broken mic from last night. JR promises that Bret Hart is here and Vince will be interested in what he has to say. The Godwins come out. They got Hibbley Jim. They get the pigs. Vince is excited about the critters as always. JR talks about uh, the free for all as well. They bring the critters to the table and King says the pig peed on him. And JR says King has worn that same jacket for 20 years. It should be scotch guarded. And then King reuses the joke uh, he used about Mr. Perfect from the day before. He says that Ross got his jacket at Kmart uh, from Kmart. And he said the same thing to Perfect the day before. So he needs, uh, needs a better filtering on his jokes here. JR says that Sonny was a detriment to the guns. They're better off without her. Phineas and Bart start off with a lockup. We get some feeling out. JR says he source, has sources tell him the winners here will get a title match. So it's a big one. Vince hypes Mr. Perfect to Bret Hart as we go to break. Try to keep everyone tuned in, of course. He says Raw's the originator as we come back. Billy pulls the rope down and Phineas collapses to the floor. Uh, and that turns a tide. King and JR bicker about Sonny and her kisses. The guns work together, but Billy misses a leap to the corner, slams hard into the buckles. In comes Hank. He comes in with some big strikes and a slam, but things break down. Bart ends up banging into Billy on a whip, and, ha- and Hank finishes with a slop drop. The guns then argue after the match as Vince plugs the Hall of Fame and just completely ignores what's going on. Uh, uh, again, hopefully this is it for these teams. Just a way to further the guns drama. The Godwins are going nowhere fast at this point. Uh, and the match, I-, I felt stunk, honestly. A few spots to get the critters, and then the obvious finish with the guns banging into each other to blow it. So I want to start in a quarter, Chad, and, and I'm about I'm about done with Guns Godwins. Yeah, I mean it's a pair and we've seen way too much. Um the you you mentioned they did actually say the name the executioner in the mm-hmm. pre package. That was the first time they officially said what his name was gonna be. So we'll be on the lookout on when he debuts again on television. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as this match is concerned, again, like this is this is, <laughs> I think baby steps is the key word because this is a feud we're really tired of. It's been bad, and if I just had seen the lineup on paper, I'd have really been dreading this, and it wasn't <laughs> yeah. a good match at all. But it did at least advance uh, minor storyline development in the whole guns uh, argument with each other. Yep. I mean, I mean, as a match itself, it was fine. A couple of decent spots, some good camera work. I thought when Bart runs into Billy on the final spot, uh, Billy goes flying out of the range of the camera. So it looked like he really ate that bump. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the Goblins win, big whoop. So, so I mean, it does feel like again, well, on the tag scene, uh, we talked about it that Brett, I mean, not Brett, Owen and Bulldog. They're establishing themselves. They really kind of need a rival to step yes. up. Yeah. Um, and the the guns are breaking up, so that's one they might have had. But but even with that, I, I think it's time you could have split them. You know, um, it, it's so funny. So I'm actually watching. Uh, you know, I'm watching 2001 stuff, and um, Bart Gun Mike Barton was in the Real World Tag League. Okay. So he had this. So he has this tag match, him and Jim Steele versus Super J, Fake Sting, and Scott Norton. And it goes to a 30-minute draw. Oh, boy. And it's actually a really good match. <laughs> it's like I went three and a half on it. You're Bart uh, Mark. You love I'm him. I'm telling you, Bart had potential. He absolutely had potential. Um, he, he's kind of getting up there as like one of the forgotten, I mean, it's almost like he's like Bradshaw, you know, mm-hmm. they just never did nothing with him, but yeah, I mean, so I, again, not a good match at all. One star. I don't even know if I mentioned that, but 
it furthers the guns breaking up so that's fine yeah and uh there's a very interesting match with him coming up as well on tna never dies which airs every other wednesday here on what's that connection myself aaron and jenny going through uh the history of nwa tna we just come back from a, a hiatus uh but he is uh debuted and it's going to be a very interesting little uh match that he has coming up soon that yes. caught me completely off guard so you can add that to the bark gun pantheon yeah, it's a pretty infamous kind of Death Valley Driver classic. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is, yep. All right. Kevin Kelly talks about the Hall of Fame. He narrates a video package hyping the inductees, including Pat Patterson, Jimmy Snuka, and Vince McMahon Sr. He also hypes tickets for the show that takes place at the Marriott Marquis on November 16th. Mr. Perfect is backstage. He's warming up. In comes Hunter Hearst Helmsy, runs a utility cart into him. Perfect flies to the ground. He's writhing around in pain, and we cut away. Uh, we do see a local billboard for Raw outside of Fort Wayne featuring Shawn Michaels and Sonny. It's like, uh, you think they drove Chris Candido by that? Made him look up at it? Like, this is, this is what's going yeah. on, buddy. Deal yeah. with it. Writing literally on the wall. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that uh, felt a little cheesy. I don't know. I guess it is what it is. It, that, that felt like a very, like... 90s thing to do though, the big billboard, billboard and yeah. promote it yeah what'd you think of the perfect getting laid out uh the way perfect got laid out i thought was pretty believable um knowing uh what was going to happen i was interested i couldn't exactly remember how they kind of got out of it of him uh not wrestling i think i mentioned before that i do you know, of course, like now in retrospect, you know what happens, but I didn't know exactly how we got there. I thought this was a good way to do that. I thought it was a good way to create a red herring on what eventually happened. And mm-hmm. uh, it was executed pretty well. So uh, all in all, I had no problem with that. All right. Yeah, we'll see where it leads later tonight. If they're just dead banging, up, uh, banging him up or if he has uh, bigger things afoot. We got an ad for the Dirty Up Big Bang Boom Tour running through Cincinnati, Evansville, Springfield, Chicago, St. Louis, Cape Girardeau, and Richmond. We then get clips of Steve Austin on Livewire. Uh, this... This kicks off quite the stretch here for Austin yes. <laughs> over the next few weeks of just classic stuff. And and this is uh this is awesome. If you've never seen this live art, it's worth checking out. But he's uh bitches about being kept in the weight in the green room, stretching Bret Hart in the dungeon, just iconic stuff from Austin. And we're about to get more over over the next couple of weeks. Um any thoughts on, on the Austin clips there? Yeah, I mean, it was really great stuff. I think it again symbolizes a change in thought process from you know, since King of the Ring, we've talked about, like, when Austin's had opportunities, he shined. But the opportunities themselves haven't been necessarily consistent or persistent from the company. And now you can see, like, he's calling out Bret Hart. He's wrestling long feature matches on pay-per-view. And he's showing up on the other syndicated shows, and like he's really becoming a focal point of this yes. promotion really fast. Yeah, and it's no surprise that the product improves greatly week to week when yeah. he's suddenly a main featured player that gets a ton of TV. <clears throat> I mean, just I mean they've done some stuff with Livewire with the new fall schedule to try to make mm-hmm. it must see, but I mean, yeah, I mean he's a great presence and. Him live, quote unquote. I mean, that adds an extra edge. So it's it was really well done. 
All right. Uh, so up next is our big return of Bret Hart. Do you want to get into any you know behind the scenes stuff before we dive in on this, or do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, we can get kind of in the lead up to it. Okay. So you know we've talked about uh, Bret Hart returning and whatnot. The Observer dated October twenty first, nineteen ninety six, is a really great edition of the Observer. It goes uh, very heavily in depth uh, with the Bret Hart contract negotiation and a lot of insight. It's it's uh, appreciative that in the infancy of the internet and chat rooms and whatnot, we do have this account from Meltzer, uh, more than likely was sourced by Brett directly. So again, there may be mm-hmm. some biased, you know, it can't have a heart slant, but you know, at least we know kind of the figures and what's going on again uh, in 2022. It's uh, refreshing to now look back at this, what, 26 years before <laughs> current day and see that uh, some stuff was still going on. So We'll get into it. Basically, uh, the um, I think the let me see when was the actual. So the publication date is dated October 21st as of the previous Tuesday, which would have been October 15th. Hart hadn't officially signed a contract. But oh, there interesting. Few odds and ends. Right. Yeah, there was a few odds and ends that he was waiting to hammer out with Vince himself. Uh, but the Observer talks about how after a, an October 10th meeting with Vince McMahon, uh, they were pretty secure that he was uh, coming back to the WWF. And the original plans was a match with Stone Cold at Survivor Series and a rematch with Sean at WrestleMania. And then it really gets into the contract mm-hmm. negotiations and whatnot. And it shows how stuff's all about the money. Um, and this is a direct quote from the Observer. It says, if some, uh, talking about what he got offered from WCW, uh, it says, if, if some of the figures bandied about in the heart negotiations are legit, all of a sudden, all the wrestlers that were thrilled to sign 250,000 guaranteed deals will all of a sudden feel terribly underpaid. Uh, so here, here's the money negotiation situation over the past week based on several different sources. As reported last week, WWF officials believe they had a deal with Hart to return since McMahon met with him in July with Hart returning in Survivor Series and the television heavily geared toward promoting that feud. So there was that. But while all this was going on, Hart received a huge initial offer from WCW believed to be $2.2 million per year for three years guaranteed which would have been about triple what he made in the best year with the WWF as champion. Jeez. I assume that was 1994. Right. Um, <clears throat> originally, Hart wasn't interested in working for WCW, as he said on numerous occasions, with lots of negative remarks about it being a second-rate organization. <laughs> and he also didn't want to have to deal with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, who mm-hmm. he had problems with for both personal and professional reasons. However, with the Time Warner merger and the fact WCW has been able to get acting gigs for many of its wrestlers and promises in that direction were made to Hart, who has aspirations to be an actor after his wrestling career ends, and he's 39 years old, Hart started to express interest. So that really shows, I mean, it, it really feels like it took like this huge offer, which, you know, I mean, I, I, 
again, I put myself in, in his shoes. Like, if any company offered me three times what I'm making now, um, I mean, you really have to question your loyalty to the company, right? I mean, right. that's not, I mean, that's a huge, huge uh, financial uptick. Yeah. Uh, so then, so less than two weeks ago, McMahon was apparently told by Carl DeMarco, the head of WWF operations in Canada and Hart's one-time business manager, that WCW had now upped its offer to a $3 million per year, three-year deal with a maximum of 180 working days per year. And, and WCW was wasn't even like super successful yet. You know what I mean? Like no. their big years are still to come. So this is like really pushing the chips in. Yes. And this and this is where if you read the Nitro book, I should have got that source too. But I'm sure it would have been financed some through Time Warner. Like it shows how when you have a lot of capital behind your wrestling operations. You can make these type of contracts just because you have the money. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't know how much of this was technically going to be on WCW right. books or, you know, if he did one episode along some dub or whatever somewhere else, you know, two out of the three million could have been on Time Warner's division, Warner Brothers. Yep. Right. Um, so so yeah, it says here he was strongly leaning toward accepting it. Uh, so McMahon, upon hearing this, called Hart, who confirmed basically what had been said. McMahon said he act, he'd like a shot at changing his offer to keep Hart. He flew to Calgary to meet with Hart. That was the October 10th meeting. Hart apparently told McMahon at the meeting before they started to negotiate that no matter what his decision was, he wanted to appear on Raw on 1021, which Titan had been wanting him to debut on all along. To tell the fans as a shoot of his decision and why he made the decision. McMahon agreed to this stipulation before making what was termed a quotation marks amazing offer. Uh, so now we know that what that offer was. It was basically a lifetime deal. Uh, by this time, WCW was extremely confident they were going to land part because nobody in wrestling believed McMahon could afford to match $3 million per year or even $2.2 million. Scenarios were worked on to lead to Hart showing up as the savior of WCW and eventually building the matches with the likes of Hogan, Flair, Steam. Uh, so now we say Titan sources claim McMahon didn't come close to matching the $3 million per year WCW offer. WCW sources claim he not only matched the offer, but upped it to a great degree. Sources close to Hart basically confirmed the WCW story and claim that the McMahon offer was just under $4 million per year for a four-year deal, which is more than one would think the company could afford given the revenues it takes in. So this is interesting because this, you know, as it came out, we know it's a lot of time deal, but as of where we're at now, observer, as of the show we're watching now, um, he's saying like that they did a four million dollar per year deal. So that's kind of one of those weird things in in retrospect that like we didn't have all the specifics of this contract right when he comes out there for this interview. Um, in Dave's mind, when he comes out for the interview, he's thinking that Vince offered him four million per year. I mean, he does say the $4 million per year is supposedly not in cash, but with a series of goodies and quotation marks that all added up together, if liquidated, would come to $4 million per year. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very interesting um, hmm. what's going on. So 
a, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of kind of back and forth and a lot of interesting stuff. And he goes, I mean, he goes into detail on kind of the way everything is going and all this. Now, this this always. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, he did he did send a quote in the Calgary Sun on October 12th that says a wrestling, uh, a wrestling organization whose competitor to the WWF has offered me an amazing amount of money to work for them. I'd be working less days than with the WWF and making a lot more money. I realized that in a few years I could be sitting on a beach somewhere and never have to work another day in my life. Being that the WWF is a family-owned business, I didn't think they could ever come up with enough money to match this offer. I said it before that I'm not greedy for money, but that I'm greedy for respect. I guess for most people, it would be a simple decision. If they pay you more and work you less, that's where you go. But for me, it wasn't the cut and dry, and that's when I realized that wrestling isn't just a job. My family has generations caught up in it. I started asking myself hard questions about loyalty, integrity, and weighing that against the fact that I have four kids that could benefit from the money long after I'm history. I owe the lifestyle I enjoy today to the WWF. I do feel a sense of loyalty to Vince McMahon, but his company, its directions, and its priorities have changed. In the words of the Million Dollar Man, everybody has a price. I've lost sleep over it, but I've made my decision. It was like choosing between two lovers. They both want you, and they both treat you good, and they both have their own little benefits. No matter how good the one you end up with, is you're always going to wonder what you missed so yeah that's it i mean that's where we're at now so a a very heavy uh negotiation we again have 26 years of retrospect Mm -hmm. in mind but this is one of these decisions where uh you know from the wrestling side who knows what happens Unfortunately, even from the morality side with Owen Hart, mm-hmm. who knows what happens. I mean, this is uh, it's a huge what if. This, it's a, yeah, this, it's a huge this what is if. a le- this is a legitimate, you know, lifetime life altering decision that he made here. A world sure. altering. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, world altering. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if he at least, yeah. So if he leaves, the big sacrifice is one of the greatest creative angles of all time, right? Um, with the Hart Foundation versus Austin and all that. Right. But if he leaves, you know, <clears throat> odds are while his professional career may sag, obviously it's highly unlikely Owen Hart becomes a blue blazer and all that. Like, I don't think that ever occurs. Um, you know, just Brett and Goldberg have that match in 2000 and he gets kicked right. in the head. Like all that probably doesn't happen. I, I don't know. I think he had a better chance to succeed in WCW in 96 than in 97. I think coming up the Howard Foundation in Montreal, the pressure was almost too high to deliver on something that, that worked. Whereas if he comes in now in late 96, the NWO is still fresh enough where you could either put him there or like you said, he comes in as like a, you know, like Jarrett's been doing in the early weeks, right? Representative of wrestling tradition, et cetera. Um, and, and stands by that as a uh, way to stay face. So, you know, I, I think 
I, I think creatively we, we're not going to get anything close to the Hart Foundation angle, but when you balance out all the other benefits, you know, I think hindsight tells us. I mean, like, maybe. I mean, maybe. Like, I, I, I don't know. The Hart Foundation is pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, like that's epic, but I mean, the NWO stuff's been epic too. Like, if he's yeah. in a hot feud, you know, yeah. like, like I want to, I want to pause it, and I don't know. I before our Halloween Havoc show, I do need to read the Nitro book that talks about that. But mm-hmm. is it possible that if they would have signed him, he would have been the one that comes out at the end of Halloween Havoc? Um. I mean, it's possible. I don't know how long ahead that they have, you know, the other person in mind. And I, I guess he could have gotten there in time. I mean, the timeline yeah. part works out, right? He could have been there if he signs. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely possible. Because him and, you know, him doing the big reveal in November would also make sense. He'd, like, be someone that would kind of know what's up. So, right. so, so I mean, so that kind of sets the stage for this uh, interview, like, when he went out there, he'd already signed, you know, like he'd right. signed the contract. He was staying with WWF, but uh, he was kind of given a live mic and, you know, was given right. some carte blanche on, you know, say what you want to say. You also wonder if Mr. McMahon gets created. I mean, I'm guessing he does because I think they always kind of had that in the back of their mind, you know, um, but it probably wouldn't, wouldn't feel as natural as the way it goes. Down. Yeah, I. It's it's interesting because you might not have a, that's well, and that's another kind of cause and effect thing. Like I don't mm-hmm. know if Mr. McMahon gets created if you know evil Eric Bischoff's also around. You know, like that came first. Like we hadn't seen that evil authority right. presence till what we're about to see with Bischoff. Right. So there's there's so much there's so much cause and effect from this. Like even I, right. I'd say even more so than Montreal. Like really. In yeah. Some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, he was leaving anyway in Montreal. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. whatever. Like this, yeah. this alters so much stuff for sure. Because uh, what is all like? This all, I'm sure Austin still gets as big, but what's his feud if Brett doesn't come back? Like Survivor Series through Mania and beyond is like what makes him a red hot monster. So it's like, wh- who does he feud with without <laughs> Brett right now? There's no one else really on his level. Yeah. He- yeah. I mean, we talked about him being the focal point. Mm-hmm. He really needs, like, they're putting their chips behind him, but this is the first, like, you know, money feud, obviously, he's yep. been in, and you've got to have a counterpoint to that, and if you remove Brett, and, you know, if it's not Sean, who, as we've talked about, isn't exactly getting the greatest mm-hmm. face reaction, you know, I mean, he's not, I don't think... I mean, it's 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 all tough because Brett's been gone. So, of course, you're ready to right. see him back while Sean's been there the whole time. But, you know, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, they're very pro-Brett versus mm-hmm. pro-Sean just on this night. Um, yeah, I mean, who who could that be? I mean, Sean would be Taker? the hope. Because, I mean, do they yeah, pivot to Taker? Taker maybe. But I think the, the size with Taker and the, like, Ability to prove, I, I mean, I don't think Taker, like, I, I almost feel like Taker had to be pushed in that position with Mankind. Right. So, right. like, I don't, I don't know if he's in the position now to push somebody else to elevate them up. It's right. it's uh, it's an interesting case. I mean, it, it's really one of those where, like, you know, Austin, in the past 50 years, Austin's at worst, what, like, third or fourth biggest mm-hmm. wrestling stars of all time. 
you know, if this doesn't happen, is he just somebody that's on, right? you know, in the wrestling world, like on a, you know, Randy Orton level. Or, right, right. You know, like like a star, but not. I, I think if star. they find their way to McMahon, they probably still takes off. It's just maybe Rocky Road to get there. Um, yeah. You know, and, and we'll talk about it, too, right? That, like, I don't know if they had Pillman in their minds as a possibility, but, you know, he gets re-injured, so he's out for a bit. But maybe they try and push him into that, you know, as right. beat up as he is. Yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing at some point maybe they, they shift to Taker. Um, I mean, you assume Bulldog and Owen are still around, so maybe they try and turn Bulldog back face and, and have him run with him. Like, I think that's that's probably on the list, you know. So, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Brett, Brett's just a better choice. Oh, he's the only choice. choice really. I mean, yeah. Yeah, really the only choice. I mean. I think with the others, again, like you may have had a decent feud. Again, you may have had him be become a quote unquote wrestling star. Mm-hmm. But you know, is he on the level of like Sid, who's getting good reactions? Is he on the right. level of somebody like that? Maybe, no. maybe Sid yeah. gets fed to Austin. You know, like in the middle or something, and then then they go on. But right. Um, and Ahmed's tied up. Like he's the only the guy that maybe could be on. Yeah, the that's it's so easy. It's so sad. Like it's easy to forget about Ahmed, right? Just because you know, like he's never gonna be the same. But in yeah. the real time, he possibly could have. All right, Jim Ross gets in the ring. He brings out Bret Hart. Gets a huge pop. It's a big night. The Hitman's back on Raw. JR asks Brett to tell us about his future. Is he coming back? Is he making movies? Brett says he missed everyone, and that for the past couple of weeks, he's had to deal with a lot of things, including a rival organization that made him a great offer and dealt with him with integrity and honorably, and he can't say anything bad about them. But it was an incredibly tough dilemma that if he goes back to wrestle, should he come back to WWF or go find new adventures elsewhere? Vince uh, on air says he can't believe this is happening. He looks very pensive and nervous. Brett says he isn't greedy for money. He's greedy for respect. He had two great offers and did a lot of soul searching. He owes everything he's ever done to the WWF and its fans. Uh, we cut to the locker room. We see Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, uh, amongst others, watching this on a TV. Uh, Brett says he'll be with the WWF forever. Vince gives a sigh of relief and a little clap. Uh, Brett says he wants to talk about why he left. He jokes that maybe he was a sore loser. And it didn't seem like it at the time, but Sean did beat him fair and square in the ring. No excuses. He knew when he climbed inside after those 60 minutes were up, what was at stake, and he lost. Michaels was the opponent, not an enemy. But there is something about Sean that still bugs him. Sean may be young, younger. He may be more popular and more cute. He's a great wrestler and champion, but there's two things Sean will never be. As tough and as smart as Bret Hart. Vince doesn't agree at first, but then he kind of backs off. Uh, Brett says Richard Nixon taught him you can learn from defeat and come back and beat him the next time. So he's officially accepted the challenge of the best wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation. And at Survivor Series, he will face Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Then, one of my all-time favorite Raw moments, we come backstage. Uh, Pillman is anxiously waiting, and when Brett says he's coming back and fighting Austin, he, like, does this, like, really, like, yeah! And Austin just turns and glares at him, and Pillman just stops and looks away. <laughs> like he got you scolded by a teacher. Just amazing character work by both guys. Uh, Brett says he may be rusty, but maybe not. Madison Square Garden is no church, but it is holy ground. We'll see who can kick whose ass. The crowd chants for Brett, and Vince says it's overwhelming. Brett says he owes everything to his fans around the world, and it's an honor and a privilege to have them. He takes it seriously to be a role model. That's what's been missing in the WDF with him gone. Brett says getting beat up isn't fun, especially if you can afford to be at home with your family. But there's a little boy in Canada that worshipped him. 
Brett Hart was his hero and he takes pride in it, but that little boy got sick within hours. Brett went to his bedside and promised the boy if he could pull out of it and kick out that Brett would make a comeback from retirement. As soon as Brett came back, the boy came out of it, but sadly he passed away just as he started to turn the corner and that boy was his nephew. He didn't plan this out a long time ago, but after the boy died, he told himself he'd come back and give little kids someone to look up to. He may not dance, he may not pose for girly books, but he's the best there is, was, and ever will be, and he is back. Vince is all pumped. Uh, I thought it was a great return promo. I think Brett nailed it. It was heartfelt. It was honest. He hit the key point to hype up Survivor Series. And I think watching this, you see the benefit of him coming back to WF is he's going to be the big dog uh, in the, in the lighter, smaller pond right now. I think if he goes to WCW, while he's a big deal, I think it could have been possible to get lost in the shuffle with everything else going on over there, all the big names that are there right now. And I'm guessing that probably paid at least a little part of this and well, that he knew coming back here, he's automatically a top three guy with Sean and with Undertaker. He's seen how Sean's title reign has gone, right? I think he knows he can come back and probably Mm -hmm. surpass him pretty quickly. He knows Austin's coming up, but he's coming back to probably be a top two face in the company. So it's, it's that versus dealing for TV time with Hogan, Hall, Nash, Sting, like all this other stuff going on. So I'm guessing that's part of it. And of course, also the nephew that passed away, um, I'm trying to play. Was it Matthew? I don't remember exactly. He's the one that I was like West... wrestling. He got the staff infection and had like right, a right. friggin' flesh eating disease or whatever. That yeah, it's like an awful story. Um, I forget whose son it was. It was a Smith's son or something like that? Maybe. Um, just it was a terrible story. He's told that a few different times. I know it's in his book too. Um, but yeah, he he was wrestling, um, wrestling in a on a trampoline or something and got got injured or got a cut and got infected and just awful stuff. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought this was the best segment we've had on raw since Sean collapsing. So 11 months <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, that shows you like, um, I, you know, I, I, there's something with Bret Hart that he, he's able to convey all, authenticity um and that's why people um especially like wwf centric fans have him as like the greatest wrestler of all time or up there uh he's just able to have that very personal connection he doesn't necessarily have like the mainstream connection if you don't know him but if you love wrestling you know wrestling you you resonate with bret hart i mean he cares too much honestly as you know um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's able to still convey that authenticity. I mean, it's, it's not a, you know, it wasn't a mistake that it clashed at the castle right before the Intercontinental title match between Gunther and Sheamus. They show Bret Hart waving to the crowd and he's taking a front row seat to watch this match. You know what I mean? Like that gives that match authenticity and he still has it. He still has that even in the state he is now. But um, in, in this promo, it was it was superbly well done i like the cuts to the back um and kind of a just a chance uh coincidence it's a great moment though that during this promo it's the first time we ever see on wwf screen at least on raw uh rocky mavia <laughs> just standing there he's mm-hmm. from the yes yep. uh congregation so it's it's an amazing like weird thing that he's kind of behind pillman so you have rock austin Pillman as the your three most focal uh 
like in the main focus of the backstage but yeah like he you know he does he does his thing to return uh he shows dignity to wcw so he's not gonna like quote unquote swing it in the mud so that was good uh and then he gets to his feud with austin and he does a good job in building up austin just a a, a really well done uh step to take this feud angle to the next level and now we'll see how Austin reacts from that. So great, great segment. I mean, like like I said, I mean, I I, I actually think since we started the show, uh, the podcast, it's been so long now in real time. I mean, this is probably my second favorite thing we've seen on Raw behind the collapse. So I, I, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, it's up there. I, w- I would say the only the one maybe that big heel beat down that time. <laughs> Like late 90s, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I was actually thinking the I like the Goldust Razor Brawl. Yeah, that was good. Um, but I mean, I think just uh, when you start looking in retrospect and the ramifications, this has obviously more right. uh, historical significance. So, I mean, this might be number one, honestly. But as of now, it, it is it is top two for me. Yep. Uh, the nephew is Edward, uh, better known as Teddy. Hart, Matthew, oh, hang on, Edward Benos, no, Joel, Matthew, Matthew. it was Matthew, yeah. yeah. So Edward Benos, Teddy Hart, Matthew, Annie, and Angela Annis. On July 4th, 1986, Matthew fell ill and was diagnosed with a flesh-eating disease uh, and passed away on July 16th. So yeah, he was only 13. Still, I think it's Teddy's brother, isn't it? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So who's dad? That's, uh... Oh, I can't even remember who Teddy belongs to. Teddy's well, it's uh, BJ Annis, who's married to... Georgia. So it's Georgia's okay. son. Okay. There you go. Yeah, and she had four sons. Yeah, four kids. Teddy, Matthew, Angela, yeah. and Andy. I thought it was Teddy's brother. So. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's rough. Um, all right. So, what yeah. a, I mean, what a... Yeah. Talk, I mean, uh, uh, wrestling families, man. So tragic. Right. On Eric's hearts. Rough. All right. Um, so out comes Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, we drag it out to really build some more. So he's waiting in the ring for the match. See if Mr. Perfect's going to make it. We kick off our Milton Bradley Karate Fighters holiday <laughs> tournament. Todd Pengill and Jerry Lawler have the pregame pairing, the selection show. Todd reminds us that King uh, was suspended due to questionable tactics a year ago. Todd then runs down the brackets as King cracks some jokes. Todd says Backlund is campaigning against women being part of the tourney. And uh, we get the brackets. Our opening round will feature Mr. Bob Backlund taking on Sonny, Doc Hendricks taking on Sable, Psycho Sid versus Marlena, and Mr. Perfect versus Phineas Godwin. And Todd says Perfect is the pre-tournament favorite. So uh, no matchups tonight, just the uh, rundown of the pre-show. Any thoughts on your predictions for the Karate Fighters? I mean, it's it's a wild bracket. Um, Do you think it's below Sid to be in this? Um, I, I think there's a world where this lends credence to maybe that he wasn't the original plan because, uh, I'm sure this was filmed in advance, right? All of this. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they weren't planning on being like a world title contender in the main event of Survivor Series at the time that they did this. So it could continue to speak to the fact that that was a last minute decision. It just, it just feels like it's, a. You know, managers, announcers, right. who yeah. gives a crap about Phineas, and then and then Sid. All it feels like you can throw like Savio in there, maybe. Or yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like kind of seven 
ancillary characters, and then all of a sudden you're number one contender for the actual WWE championship. Unless they thought it would be funny to see, like, giant psycho Sid playing little karate fighters with women. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess maybe that. I mean, yeah, Sid and Marlena. I mean, it's the brackets are amusing. Um, I digress. It just struck me as odd that he was in it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it could it could definitely point to the fact that he wasn't planned for that role. Another mm-hmm. uh, sign. So, all right, main event time, and it's a big one. It's Hunter Hearst Helmsley set to take on Mr. Perfect. Hunter's in the ring as we come back from break. Perfect heads out. He's got Mark Merrow, Sable, and Gorilla Monsoon with him. Perfect is limping. He's got a he's got his gear on, but he's got like a windbreaker on. He looks pissed. Right. They get in the ring. Jr. gets in the ring as well. Perfect says Gorilla Monsoon and the doctors will not let him wrestle here tonight. Gorilla says he's not going to allow it. Hunter kind of smirks. He calls Perfect a chicken. He says he's got no guts. Perfect says Mero's a stand-up guy, and he's perfect in his corner. And he accepted to be Mr. Perfect's replacement here tonight. Hunter says he's got no obligation and no contract. He only wants Mr. Perfect. He doesn't want Mark Mero. Gorilla says Hunter's right. Hunter can leave if he wants. Perfect pushes Mero to say yes, and Hunter says he'll do it if the Intercontinental title gets put on the line. And Perfect accepts on Mero's behalf. He says, of course he'll do it. Show him what kind of champion you are. Mero says Perfect has helped him in the past and he's going to return the favor and he accepts this challenge. Gorilla says he can only sanction the title match if Mero agrees to put the title up and Hunter agrees and they do and it is on. So we go to break. Hunter is working over Mero. Mero comes back with a backdrop. Perfect sits in on commentary, apologizes to the fans for what's happened here tonight. Mero works the arm as Vince talks about Farouk's injury and the suspension of Ahmed Johnson due to the attack on the free-for-all. And if we tune into Livewire, we'll get more info on that. Sable slaps Hunter on the floor. Mero comes out and slugs away. We head back inside where Mero gets a sunset flip for two. Vince points out that Hunter has no valets with him tonight. Mero keeps the flurry on and gets some near falls, but Hunter turns the tide with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. King says Perfect and Mero have made a bad decision. And Perfect says King has no friends. He doesn't understand what it's like. Vince is surprised that Mero took this challenge given his fight last night. And Perfect says he's never felt this bad about not wrestling for fans as King talks some more shit. Perfect says he needs an MRI tomorrow as Hunter pushes through a comeback with a clothesline. After a break, Mero's making his comeback. He gets two on a slingshot, leg drop. Uh, then he slams Hunter down and goes up top. Hunter shoves the ref into the ropes. Hunter goes up and tries a superplex, but Mero counters and knocks him to the mat. Mero comes off the top of the moonsault, but only gets two. Mero charges, but Hunter drops down. He bangs into the ref. Perfect says he needs to go check on things as Hunter grabs a chair and gets in the ring. Sable gets a chair as Perfect comes in and yanks it from her. And then he turns and pastes Mero to it uh, with the chair. Hunter hits the pedigree, covers, and he wins the Intercontinental title to booze. Sable screaming. Vince says this whole thing's been a hoax. Hunter and Perfect embrace, and we quickly fade off the air as we're, we're live and we're kind of running, running light on time. So they book yeah, out yeah. of there fit quickly. Uh, obviously, this is pretty obvious from the minute Perfect came out hurt. It was, you can see where it's going, especially once he pushed Mero to put the title up. Uh, but they executed it well. I think putting Perfect with Hunter is a good idea uh, as they try and elevate him. The only way it's not a good idea is if Perfect really was cleared in any way because they need him badly in the ring. Uh, but if he's not cleared and this was just a ruse, like, I think this is a good way to go about it. The match itself is fine. The finish was well done. Mero's reign is short, but maybe he gets into a personal feud. He's really done nothing besides just random matches for the most part since he's arrived. Hunter's punishment's over. He ascends back up now. Curtain call's done. Uh, a lot of time has been invested in the story with all these guys. And uh, we'll see if Hunter gets over as a result of it. It's a big night. A lot has happened. The match was fine. I went two and three quarters. And again, I like the turn as long as it's not at the expense of losing perfect in the ring. Yeah, that was, I mean, my only 
I guess critique of this is, I mean, how gullible does Mero look when he yeah, gets oh, yeah, kind like of push, pushed into it? Um, you know, like Mero saying, like, perfect, you've always been a stand-up guy, and kind of the way he phrased it. It's like, right. I mean, had perfect appeared on television between WrestleMania 10 and this whole deal? Uh. No, he returned at Survivor Series. Well, yeah, I think he was on TV a little bit after 10 um, because okay. they were setting up the feud of Luger, but he leaves. It's it's brief. It's maybe a week or two at most. So, um, and then he came back at Survivor Series 95. That was his first return. Right. So, I mean, the last time we saw him before this, he was being shysty. So I, I don't know why he's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, so that's unfortunate. I mean, the way it is, though, again, it's like, well, the, the, again, this is progress, though. The Marrow reign wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Like you said, now it puts them in a heated feud. They had somebody punished. Uh, Hunter was punished for whatever with the curtain call. Yep. Now that's clearly in the rearview mirror. He's given Mr. Perfect, who, uh, as we talked about, had like pretty significant heat. Like you could argue he was getting the second highest babyface reactions the past month or two. Um, you know, it's probably a competition between him, Taker, Sid, Ahmed, like them four are pretty, pretty lumped together, to be honest. Um, so we'll see if that heat continues on the hill side but i mean he's always been able to generate heat as a hill too so it's a decent pairing together uh hunter is somebody that you know it was time to build him up he'd been in that you know aristocratic gimmick for too long now Mm -hmm. um it was time to move on for that this is a good way to kind of give some progression to that uh, as the match itself, it was fine. I went two and a quarter. I, I didn't think it was great, but again, it wasn't really about the match. It was about the end result. And when uh, Perfect grabs the chair and whacks Marrow, it gets a great reaction. And I did like that at least Hunter did use the pedigree uh, to win the IC Championship. Uh, another minor critique, I did think it made Sable look pretty worthless. Yep. Because she essentially just starts squealing and running around ringside, like not not doing much. But um, right. but yeah, I mean it was what it was, and now I mean perfect and Hunter together as a pairing looks uh, very very uh, you know strong. But uh, the face side's getting kind of weak. We got to start talking about that. We need to we need to be monitoring yeah. that. Face well, that's why Brett's coming back as big. You yeah. wonder if they're going to keep Sid face. Is he going to go heel in this feud, yep. right? Um, yep. If he stays face and Brett back, like maybe we're okay because we got Taker, Brett, Sid, and Sean. Like that's a, a solid top four. It's that mid mid card is soft because Ahmed's banged up. Mero's got going nowhere. Savio's cooked. Like, you know, Bulldog and I weren't our heels. Vader's a heel. So, yeah, where are those upper mid card faces? That's where the big gap is. Right. Yes, I mean, so it was good. So we'll definitely see where Perfect and, and uh, Hunter go. I'm assuming Perfect was not cleared or didn't want to give up the insurance, and that's why they... they yeah, I, I think this was a Lloyd's of London situation. Yeah. Yep. So that, that's fine, then, um, that they go this route. So we'll see We'll see where it goes. Uh, so it does. It wraps up a, a very uh, interesting and happening episode of Raw. So that that's a good thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, there wasn't one segment that was a complete waste. Like, I... I mean, the uh, Godwin's guns is the closest that comes to, but 
I mean, we we've had so many roles just played with, uh, you know, like, yep, um, filler or filler individuals. Like, I mean, I love somebody like Tracy Smothers, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's a filler character. At least with the Godwins, they're you know they're one of the main tag mainstays. So <laughs> number two right now, before. probably. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, and, and the guns angle, yeah, that was going somewhere, right? Them fighting and everything. Right. Yeah. Right. All right, let's get to our awards. Uh, match of the night, I had Mero and Helmsley. Uh, yeah, I actually went with uh, Sid and Owen. Okay. Uh, the best moment was very obviously Bret Hart's return. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is, no I doubt. mean, you know, the, the jamming that on the same night is perfect. Uh, Perfect's turn was, was tough, given uh, they were both, you know, any other week on the show, perfect turn probably wins, but... Brett obviously overshadowed him. Yeah, I mean, Perfect's turn is one of those, like, that's, that would be, I mean, that's a good segment for um, 1996 Raw. You mm-hmm. know, it's in the compilation tape, but, yeah, as we talked about, like, it, up to this point, really, in Raw's history, I would say Brett's interview is one of the top, you know, five to ten segments in history. Uh, MVP, I, I went with Brett. I went with Brett as well. Any commentary lines? Only one I had. I actually thought King was very subdued. I, I thought that was another kind of minor, um, you know, I mean, he's never mm-hmm. going to be completely subdued. And and we did have perfect on guest commentary, um, but it felt like, you know, that's one thing we talked about, too, that a lot of stuff. It, it, it felt like at least that the matches that were going on, we were focused to what was going on with the match. Uh, before we've had like commentary spots with people that are fighting somebody else, or we've had like cut ins or insert promo, you know, just a lot of stuff going on to where the in ring action gets muddled and the actual heat isn't on the match itself. So I thought they did a good job of that. The only line I had was uh, King when he was talking about um, it was uh, Phineas. He said, golly, you kiss even better than mom. He's talking about oh, God. Phineas kiss Sonny. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that was his one eye-rolling line. But other than that, he was pretty good. All right, for shots fired, I said Vince calling Raw the originator after that break. Obviously, a shot at Nitro. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even mention that. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, and then no debuts, no dropped angles. And for a final grade, I went 6.5 out of 10. That was a strong Raw. Um, I, I just wasn't as high on Sid Owen or the uh, Godwin's match, which dinged a little. But the Brett stuff, obviously, like you said, is uh, for this year and, and all time. So a very big time segment. And the perfect turn was important, too. And it paid off a, a long build. So a very good episode of Raw, strong episode of Raw. A nice little bounce back uh, from a week ago. Yeah, 7 out of 10 for me. A really good episode. Probably a good match. Away from being what I consider a great episode, uh, breezy to watch, which certainly hasn't been the case for a lot of these Raws uh, the past few months. So I'm I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing, and it's good that Nitro's been really good too. Like it, you know, it's it's really fun to watch two good shows. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole thing. Right, that's like, what we're that looking for. That should be yeah. the goal. Like, yeah, so anybody in 2022 that's team wanted, you know, just hope that both shows are better. I mean, right. when you're the fan, like, you know, who gives a shit? Like, right. come on. So, yeah, you're not, just because one's good doesn't it's mean. It's been good. Right, doesn't mean the other 
will you know the other being bad doesn't mean one will be good right it's like just have them both right. be good doesn't hurt anything um right. and, and i'm confident as we go forward now i think we have at least for the bulk of a year's worth of like you know both shows being good i, I think we've suffered for a year uh and there were times where both were bad right there's times where raw's been bad uh and now i, th- I think we're to the point where raw's going to be at least watchable which is you know was yeah. tough for a while there so yeah, I, th- I think you can make an argument that this will sh- this episode starts kind of the golden age mm-hmm. of our podcast with both yes. shows putting out consistently pretty high quality product. Yep, agreed. Yeah. So this is almost like an episode one. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think this has always been earmarked to me. Of, of, like, of like a new season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just We're entering a new season. Yep. I think Brett returning really is kind of the, the sounding board to where we're going to head. And even Vince coming back to the booth and all that. And um, I think the night of the Survivor Series, too, is when it really kicks off, um, especially given the debut we had a Survivor Series. Like, mm-hmm. also feels like the kickoff of a you know new era, too. So um, for Rook's gimmick change, I think, like, yeah, this next month feels like the transition month. And then Survivor Series feels like the real launch off of, like, the, the, the era that'll become Attitude, right? Um, it's like the prequel mm-hmm. year, so. Uh, all right, why don't we roll right into Nitro, Chad? Uh, opposite, of course, this episode of Raw, we get our opening animation. Tony Cervani and Larry Zavisco welcome us into Mankato, Minnesota. They set up the night ahead. They talk about the disturbing state that Randy Savage was left in a week ago. Larry Zabisco begs Savage not to give Miss Elizabeth a checkbook or charge cards. She'll ruin his life yet again. We get clips of the statement and then talk about the timing and all this. Larry says WCW is running out of time and we need a leader. Because, of course, Halloween Havoc is just six days away. So I always like Tony Larry. I think they do a nice job setting the stage for the night ahead. Yeah, a couple quick things. Hogan staying in the opening, which we knew that was going to happen. Um, Mankato, Minnesota actually got the nameplate, which I was shocked. I was shocked. Yes. It actually says yes. the name of that. I wonder if that's a Bischoff is like, you know, hometown, some home cooking. Kind right, of right. There. Yeah. But, to uh, him, it's but, a big deal. And, uh, right. And Larry and Tony, I thought, were dressed uh, more normal for once. Like Larry's shirt was pretty restrained from him. Yes. Uh, he was actually born in Detroit. I, I don't know where he lived uh, as a kid or anything like that, but... Um, I was just thinking like the AWA, kind of that territory. Yeah, it's just going to be a tie into that. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Let's get to our opening match, which is uh, Bobby Eaton taking on Chris yeah. Jericho. Uh, we see Bobby jog, jog out. No more Earl of Eaton. He is no more Earl Robert. <laughs> he is uh, done with the Blue Bloods, ready to rock the low mid card. Nick Patrick has his neck brace on. He's refereeing this one. Tony says, Macho Man will be in action tonight. Sting is here, and he's actually set to wrestle Mr. JL. It'll be his first Nitro appearance since September 16th. We get a nice pop for Jericho. He's been on a roll. We see Six with his camcorder and the fake Sting standing under the NWO banner in the crowd. Larry threatens to slap them around if they come down to the ring. Tony says Six is here to scout Jericho. They have a match at Halloween Havoc. After the break, Six and Fake Sting are rallying the crowd as the match finally gets going. Larry digs into Savage's mental state again says Jericho cranks, as Jericho cranks a side headlock. Eaton comes back. We get a flurry of counters into a Jericho dropkick and shoulder block. Jericho gets a seated surfboard as we get lots more Liz and Savage talk. We get a loud NWO chant filling the arena. Six and Fake Sting are rallying them. They trade some holes on the mat as we get talk about the lack of trust in Sting as a leader. Tony says the NWO has created true paranoia. There's no one to trust, which leads you to having no leader. Jericho hits a spin wheel kick and springboard kick to knock Eaton outside. Eaton snaps Jericho across the top rope. He heads back in. 
starts to lay in some strikes into an arm bars. Tony talks about Halloween Havoc coming at us live at the MGM Grand on Sunday. Eaton keeps pouring it on. They tumble outside, but Jericho shoves him to the post. He charges, but Eaton ducks, and now he bangs into the post. Eaton charges. Jericho backdrops him on the floor. Back in the ring, Eaton wipes out Jericho, goes up top, but Jericho stops him. Eaton slugs him back down, hits the top rope knee drop, but Jericho makes a comeback and finishes with a missile drop kick. Six walks off as Eaton shakes Jericho's hand in the ring. Uh, overall, this was a pretty fun opener. It was a little clunky at times, but I thought Eaton looked good. His offense and took some nice bumps. Jericho hangs in and finds a spot to finish the match as he rolls into havoc. Chad went two and three quarter stars. Yeah, I mean it's a it's, a, it's an interesting match on paper uh, between these two. I went two and a half. I mean I thought it was solid, uh, kind of a good back and forth match uh, between the veteran and the youngster. They. Uh, they they really did good in presenting that as you know Jericho was the upstart Bobby Eaton had shed the Earl of Eaton moniker so he you know kind of meant business but had a little more respect wasn't healing it up mm-hmm. um, so I like that they presented him as a big veteran uh, you had Nick Patrick with his neck brace on would look good uh, and Patrick actually kind of called this one down the middle for the most part uh, Bobby getting posted he always takes great posting uh, he did here too. Uh, Jericho missed that back elbow. Bobby then gets back dropped to the floor. Um, I, I kind of had a thought that like, it seems like Jericho, like he's been on a lot of these TV matches and he's sort of been the workhorse of the TV, uh, the yes. past month or so. It feels like he's in the Eddie Guerrero role from 1995. Where yeah, I would agree with that. Featured. So they're, they're kind of putting Jericho along, but I, I, I didn't remember him being this prominent on Nitro, like, all the time. But he, I feel like he's done a good job. I feel like he's, he's done a great a, job. Yeah, he's been yeah, super. He's been, a, been a good, fiery baby face, not annoying. So, uh, that was nice. Uh, so then uh, I like the battle at the top, resulting in Bobby's driving knee, but then uh, Jericho gets the back kick and is able to hit the missile drop kick for again, the win, uh, you know, good solid win over veteran. He's continuing his momentum and uh, he's got six up ahead at the pay-per-view, which you saw them scouting with the video camera and whatnot. So two and a half. All right. Tony's at ringside. He goes to talk to Jericho. He says it's only six days to Halloween Havoc. The NWO has never been beaten, tied, or even given a run, but Jericho will give six a loss and will show he's the better man. So real quick here, uh, we've kind of had a microwave build to him versus six, but Jericho's, like you mentioned, like in-ring has been great, and his promo here is energetic. So uh, I, I don't think they needed much more of a build than this for this type of match. No, this was a late addition to the card, so I guess they did the promo to add a little bit of juice, <laughs> but uh, not much there. Right. Uh, all right, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, on paper, one of the, you know, probably better in-ring. Yeah, lined up sorry, Havoc, I so. just... Sorry, I just pulled up the Observer. So, originally, it was supposed to be Jushin Liger versus Ultimo Dragon. That's oh. what Chris Jericho versus Six replaced. I don't know why. Because it's too that's random. quite the dudes, difference. Yeah, that's yeah, quite the yep. change. I mean, this one fits the show much more. That would have been cool, but this one right. uh, this one makes more sense when you look at the cards. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right, we get a video package highlighting Rey Mysterio. Uh, he It's some, like, 90210 level dramatic music playing over it. I don't know if it's <laughs> it or the actual song. Um, but, of course, he will be defending his gold against Dean Malenko at Halloween Havoc. Uh, Malenko is in the ring here in our next match, taking on uh, Jimmy Graffiti. <laughs> <So> the debut. <laughs> 
of Jimmy Graffiti. A random arrival, of course, this is a gigolo Jimmy Del Rey stepping in here with a very different look. Was he using this elsewhere too, Chad, before he popped up here? I don't think so. I think this is a new debut. I'll double check cage match while you talk about the match. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an odd... Uh, uh, odd gimmick change, I guess, but I always liked Delray, like in Heavenly Bodies. I thought he was fine. So, oh yeah, like this is a pretty good little addition, I think, to the lower mid card. If you picture this as a guy that's going to be, um, you know, probably working Saturday night and different shows like that, or helping on, um, you know, helping out a Nitro like in this type of match, he's a good. You could do worse as a body, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, Cage Match doesn't have really anything i mean he may have been doing like local schmokel indies that aren't even on cage match but right uh on cage match it goes from his ecw uh kind of the four or five shots he did in ecw to a nwa new jersey match as jimmy del rey on 928 till this one this debut on 1021 such a weird gimmick change though like why did this come in as jimmy del rey i don't get it yeah yeah uh, but it's fine. I, I mean, we'll talk about it, but he looks pretty good. Uh, all right, so Dean's looking to make a statement ahead of Havoc. He has Ray's mask with him, as always, which he took a while ago. We get a flurry of quick control holes, reversals. Uh, Larry mocks Graffiti's gear. Jimmy shoves Dean down, uh, but he quickly recovers. He takes uh, Graffiti down into another leg hold, goes to a modified SDF. Graffiti fights free, gets a nice float over DDT, a sit-out powerbomb for two. He's kind of opening up the throttle now. He nails Malenko to super kick for two, but Dean yanks him hard into the buckle to cut him off. Dean stays cool and collected. He starts to pick apart graffiti. Tony says Malenko's playing it safe here tonight with his big match this weekend. Uh, we now uh, see fake Sting with a little handheld camcorder up in the stands. And Tony wonders what he could possibly be taping out there uh, up in the up in the crowd. And wonders if maybe Ray is NWO. It doesn't quite say it, but he kind of leans into it, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was an odd leap. But I guess at this point, you can understand the paranoia that anyone could go at any time. Uh, Dean keeps putting the pressure on, but he can't finish uh, graffiti off. Dean hits a short clothesline and a brain buster. Jimmy blocks a clover leaf, gets two on a roll up. He ends up against the ropes and Malenko cross body blocks into him. And they both fly outside to the floor in a hard bump. Uh, Jimmy posts Dean, shoots him back inside. He goes up top. Dean stops him, follows up, but graffiti blocks, shoves Dean down, and then tries a missile drop kick. Malenko steps back and goes right into the cloverleaf for a very hard fought win. I really like this match. I thought graffiti looked great on offense. The selling was good. Malenko was cool and collected. He worked through his offense, let uh, graffiti make a mistake, and it was able to finish him off. I would like to see graffiti stick around. Like I said, he could be a nice addition to the low card, work the weekend shows and the show up here to get guys over. Uh, he's a good worker. I went three stars on this chat. I thought it was a nice little uh, treat on the show. And I think he's a good addition. Yeah, I went two and three quarters. So just a little bit lower, but I agree with your sentiment that, um, I mean, graffiti, I'd much rather see than somebody like Hacksaw Duggan, Wall Street, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there was, uh, I, I thought that, uh, one good thing, and this was true with his heavily bodies run, but he, uh, Jimmy Delray Graffiti always takes some wild bumps. He yes. took one here um, where, like, his feet kind of initially were angling on the rope, and then he falls down. Uh, Dean hit a really good back suplex on him. So Graffiti does a real good job in letting his opponent look vicious and taking mm-hmm. a beating, but also seeming, you know, resilient enough. Like it's not right. a complete squash, but it's also not a 50, 50. And you're wondering why this, you know, kind of 
jobber to the stars level gimmick is going 50 50 with Dean Malenko before <laughs> yes. the big match. So, right. so uh, he, he, yeah, he does a good job of knowing his role. Um, I mean, the graffiti gimmick is very odd. We'll see. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he sticks around too long. <laughs> no, so he he's definitely having. It's not his only match, but yeah, he's. I don't think he's like a long time thing here. It looks. I'm looking at. Oh, this is sad. This is really sad. Cage match only has eight or seven more matches after this period for Jimmy Del Rey. So uh, yeah. we we get him twice more on Nitro, and then he's in the World War Three. But right, so that'll be our farewell. <laughs> Well, just yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he got hurt or just well, decided I, to wrap it up. Yeah, he got injured, and then because I was looking at his wiki when I was mm-hmm. watching this match, it said he he opened up, uh, I think, like a floor company, oh, okay, or something like that. So, I mean, he might can remodel your kitchen if you're still in the. Well, he died, right? So no, he's not going to be remodeling. <laughs> Correct. <kitchen>. Yeah, he <laughs> so, did do. Uh, yeah, he it looks like he worked as a trainer at Steve Kern's school for a little bit. Um, before transitioning to to construction, yeah, it was a knee injury that made him retire in '97, yeah, and then he had a heart attack. Yeah, he's kind of one of those weird guys where, like, his runs really from when he replaces Lane in the bodies, so like '93-ish to '95. I mean, he's really just a Smoky Mountain guy, but right? You'd have thought. I, I don't know. I don't know. He's he's an interesting guy that kind of got fell by the wayside, but a lot of people seem to know too for mm-hmm. considering how short his run was. Yeah, I think the heavenly bodies were just well viewed. You know, they were like on TV a lot during that stretch. So yeah, and the SummerSlam match like it's pretty high profile with the Steiners. So I think they're just right. yeah, they're known if you were a fan in that era. So sure. All right, we get our ad for WCW Saturday Night. Uh, Dean Malenko, Jeff Jarrett, Ron Studd, Chris Benoit, Faces of Fear, Eddie Guerrero, Hall and Nash uh, will be in action in NWO special segment. So lots going on in the Saturday Night. The be the final step before Halloween Havoc, the night after. We then go right back to the ring as Diamond Dallas Page shakes on Craig the Pitbull Pitman. Tony says you can feel momentum heading into Havoc. Everyone's worried about Randy Savage and Sting, but they're also excited at the same time. Out comes Paige. He has a big match with Eddie Guerrero on Sunday. We get a diamond cutter video package in sets Paige to the ring, which I thought was a cool little spotlight on the move that they're really trying to get over here. Old Pitbull rumbles out with Teddy Long. <laughs> Teddy Long already looks aggravated. Uh, Larry <laughs> says it's good for Paige that Pittman has Teddy as a manager. I don't know about that because all we've seen from Teddy is that he costs his guys matches due to the stupid feud he's mm-hmm. going on uh, with Nick Patrick that came out of nowhere. Larry shits on the mindless NWO fans as we get going. Pittman and Long are talking on the apron. Paige shoves them together and batters away. Larry reminds us that he's been picking his way through the Guerrero family. Pittman blocks a kick, but he eats a hard clothesline and goes to the leg. Tony says Paige has an arrogance problem, and that's his weakness. Patrick barks at Long as DDP hits a pancake and covers, but Pittman flips Paige off, and he lands hard on Nick Patrick's back, so Patrick crumbles in pain. Page dumps Pittman outside and follows, but Pittman pops up, pulls DDP to the post, hits some nice uppercuts. Back inside, the arm work continues with a nice cross arm breaker. Page submits, but Nick Patrick was arguing with Teddy Long yet again. Pittman bitches at Patrick, and Page hits the diamond cutter to pick up the win. Larry thinks that Teddy is secretly NWO. Him and Nick Patrick are arguing. Patrick tells Teddy he's the reason his man lost, which is true. Uh, fine here. Pittman popping up and Yankee DDP to the post was pretty good. 
Uh, Patrick being a broken mess is funny too. That continues on, even though I think we're nearing the end game of this thing. Like I think we need to pay off sooner than later on Patrick and, and the injured neck and all that. Uh, the long scuffle and, and this felt like long scuffles, uh, you know, throughout the match. And of course, Teddy long continues to um, stumble as a, uh, as a manager, a stable is kind of a disaster, both Jim powers and Pittman have been cost a lot of matches due to his issues with Nick Patrick. So that continues on, uh, the diamond cutter also continued to be presented as a lethal, which is a good thing. So I went two and a half on the match. It was fine. Um, the biggest highlight to me is that DDP continues to grow and get the uh, finisher over big time. Yeah, I went two and a half too. I do like that. They're progressing the diamond cutter, uh, with the video package. I thought his gaudy beat pink tights. I kind of thought we were beyond that. Mm. Like he kind of went back. I don't know why, uh, but he kind of went back to like a May look as far as aesthetic. So I wasn't too fond of that. But uh, yeah, I mean the, the Teddy Patrick stuff's been going on for a while now. It's 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 definitely time to kind of have some sort of resolution to that but the match itself uh Pittman for his part he looked pretty spirited um and so did DDP the nice spinning around clothesline which got a good reaction I think that's the key is like you're starting to see Mm -hmm. when he hits his uh high spot moves as well as the diamond cutter he's getting a good reaction uh but I mean the finish here was was annoying where again like the code red gets hooked. I mean, at least this time, like Patrick immediately goes to Teddy. Right. So, I mean, you kind of can't blame Teddy, but it's just like, if you're one of Teddy's guys, it's like, and actually WCW management too. Like, why do they keep insisting on Patrick referee in every match Teddy Long's in? That, that's a little suspect as well. Um, I mean, you might could say that Bischoff's, calling that shot so you might can retcon that i guess logically but it's it's a little annoying so i mean while this match was fun uh it also brought to attention that we need some transitions from Mm -hmm. both ddp and his overall aesthetic now that the diamond cutter's getting over as well as this uh nick patrick teddy long situation yes agreed all right. Speaking of Nick Patrick, he joins Tony at ringside. Nick says he didn't hear Paige give up. He just saw him in the ropes, and he blames Teddy for not staying in his corner. Keeps getting involved in these matches. Tony says it's obvious that Nick Patrick is the NWO referee we've been seeing on Saturday night. <laughs> and Patrick says, no, it's Randy Anderson because uh, the masked man isn't as good shape as Nick Patrick is. He looks a little chubby under that shirt and that mask. He reminds Tony what happened to the last announcer that questioned him. So, uh, again, a little shot of Gene Oakland here who's yeah. – Ben MIA, and uh, we know, of course, there was some contract stuff going on with him. That's why he hasn't been on. So Patrick and, you know, Gene had been the one really grilling Patrick for weeks. So that's a, a funny little nod uh, to the missing Gene Oakland here. Yeah, so there was a, just a one-sentence note in that Observer that says, it's believed a deal was reached with Gene Oakland while he'll return in a reduced role for less money. Hmm. Uh, so it seems like they knew Gene was coming back in, but so, man, that's why they let him mention him. Well, and I think they also, you know, if he is coming back for less money, there's kind of a little bit of uh gloating, you know, right? That, like, right. right, you wanted to kind of held us up for more money, now you're kind of having to come groveling back. Um, I'm so curious what this that. reduced role is, though, because I don't remember him being gone as he left. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe we get that. Right. I mean, the only thing I can think reduced is like Lee Marshall's doing the report, but 
Right. We'll see. I don't recall it being reduced. No, definitely not. Yeah. All right, we go back two weeks to clips of the NWO taking out Ric Flair in the locker room, and then Jeff Jarrett's arrival. He denounced the NWO and challenged the Giant at Halloween Havoc, and that brings us to the ring where Jeff Jarrett takes on Big Ron Studd as a prep for the Giant. Studd's always the guy they roll out. Oh, yeah. We saw Luger do the same thing before they fight the Giant. Uh, Tony says the NWO is not fully taking the spirit out of WCW just yet. Larry says Flair could have been a leader, but now he got hurt. And this is a good challenge for Jarrett. Stud is, again, the prep proxy. Uh, Tony plugs World War III in Norfolk coming up. Uh, tickets on sale this week coming up in November. We get a nice pop for Jarrett as he heads out. Tony talks him up. Before the match, out comes Ric Flair in his street clothes. Larry says that maybe he wants to be a leader as Tony wonders what's up. Flair asks Jarrett to strut for him as Stud bails out of the ring. Jared does his strut, but gets booed, but Flair nods in approval. Flair takes his coat off, and he does his usual strutting. He gets a big pop. Tony says he didn't think Flair and Jared have ever competed in the ring against each other. Jared struts again to more boos. Flair does his. Tony thinks it's a test. They go face-to-face as Larry thinks they're comparing noses, but they shake hands, and Flair leaves, seemingly having signed off on Jared. Stud then attacks at the bell. Jared dodges him and unloads on the big man. Stud shrugs him off, heists up a double choke, slams him down hard. Jared comes punching back and actually suplexes Stud in a great power spot. Uh, got no reaction, sadly, but it looked awesome. And then mm-hmm. finishes him with the figure four. I thought this was a good showcase of Jared. You sent him up to face another giant in, in a week, so that was good. The flare endorsement, I guess, you know, makes sense. But this crowd just was not buying into Jared at all here. He was. They did not care about the flare stuff. They did not care about the power spot, uh, which is too bad. Cause I thought it was all pretty well done. Um, they could have been a little bit more clear with flares test, I guess. Uh, but I think it was really the booing that took the piss out of it. So, uh, I want to start a half. And again, I think it worked well in concept. It's just the crowd wasn't into it. Yeah. I, uh, only want to start. It's, it's pretty much a squash. Uh, I agreed. I thought the suplex looked really good. Um, I mean, the thing with Flair, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, for so long, he was legit billed for Minnesota. So, like, you knew he was probably going to get a pretty good reaction. Um, I, I, I do understand the sentiment. I mean, I think this is one of these, like, critically angled things that now, in retrospect, we have to be careful with. Because, obviously, like, we know the history of Jeff Jarrett in the past 25 years. So, it's a lot of kind of to take in. Um, but I do agree that it's it's a pretty stark transition from how Flair was acting in the beginning of the year with the Macho Man feud to how he is now recording mm-hmm. Jarrett. And it does signify, in my mind, a um, I, I don't know, like beneath him or kind of what you how you want to describe it. But but it is odd. And I do think. Uh, like like I kind of posited in the past, this sort of coming to fruition that once Flair was injured after War Games, we that was kind of the absolute end of Flair as a tip top guy um, right. in the promotion. Like he'll main event, he'll be used for big angles, but he's not the man for sure anymore. Right. I think the closest bounce back he'll get is like early 99 um when they kind of yes. things a little bit but little for now much. i would yeah. agree yeah he's but he's also not like i mean i guess 97 he's around a bunch but 98 is he's barely there anyway so um i would agree he's kind of in the upper mid car position between right. now and, and early 99 for sure at the least right. 
So so it's 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 pretty jarring if you're somebody that's followed Flair and seeing I mean I mean but then so like I think of that on one hand, but then on the other hand I think about how they recruited, like the horsemen did recruit Luger and um and uh Wyndham. So it's like I mean they do that in the past. It just right. it just felt like Flair was more at a dominant position. It was like the rich gets richer. So I don't it doesn't feel that way this time. It does come off a little bit as desperate. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I think they could have done it a little bit differently and, and not like, yeah, they could have eased into it. I feel like they're rushing the Jared thing. I think right. there's potential because we both like Jared as a face. Yeah. There's a void there. Like, this could work, but yes, it feels forced as opposed to organic. Let him maybe pick up a win here and there. Maybe he shows up and defend, you know, fends off the NWO against Luger, right? Like, like let him organically get over. Maybe Flair keeps kind of watching from the aisle and nodding or something, you know, and then he finally gives in and, and approves him if that's the plan. So right. I just, I think they're, they're trying to hustle it a little bit too quickly, which maybe, you know, maybe because they weren't expecting Flair to get hurt and now they're panicking, right? That they need someone in that spot. So they're trying to hustle and get him in there. So, I mean, that, that's also an option too, but sure. All right, uh, Tony gets to ringside again. He goes to talk to Jarrett. Jarrett says it's time for WCW to play offense, stop playing defense. All those that respect Flair and WCW need to become the hunters. At Halloween Havoc, Hall, Nash, Hogan, and Giant will get taken out. Flair comes back. He says the NWO wants to hear everything he says. Last week he sat home. So I'm going to stand up and talk good about Flair. In a wrestling, you don't cry. You just keep on going. Sometimes you get so good at what you do, you take it for granted. So he tips his hat to the NWO because they outsmarted, they outflanked, and played the game dirtier than him. Starting Sunday night, he'll be off the operating table and will be in Jarrett's corner. The day he gets back in the ring alongside the Horseman and Jarrett, they'll kick the NWO's ass. Giants watching up from the stands. Flair says they will be in Vegas side by side all night long. And again, like, I I think this was a good promo. Like, I think they did a good Mm -hmm. job. Jarrett's kind of becoming the leader WCW didn't know I had, right, coming in. Um, You get the big endorsement from Flair here. I think this worked way better than the strut off thing. Like, I think Jared, I think Flair watching from the aisle as Jared beat Stud and then doing this probably would have been a little bit more effective uh, because this is Flair doing his thing and he's not fully accepting him in. He's just saying, I'll be along his side with him. And you notice he says the horseman and Jarrett, right? Like he's not putting him in the horseman yet. So yeah. like this could have been a better slow burn and avoid the stupid strut thing that gets no, you know, nothing. Yeah. I mean, I did like the promo. I thought it was placed well right before hour two. I thought it got over like Flair's going to be involved at Havoc. So uh, Giant looking on was kind of looming. So uh, overall, this was an effective promo. Yeah. And it was good hype. Now, you know, Flair is going to be at Havoc as well. So, yeah, I I mean, I'm interested to see the match. It's kind of like the Sid Vader on Buried Alive. Like, I don't recall the match, but we'll see if it's any good or not. Yeah. And like I said, we've both been fans of Face Jarrett so far, so we'll see if it carries over. Mm -hmm. All right. We hit hour two. Bischoff, Heenan and Tanae come in. They catch us up. They talk about Flair and Savage. Uh, Bischoff says he hasn't seen Savage yet in the building. To the ring we go. Lex Luger takes on a big boy Roadblock in another Haas match. Uh, Roadblock has a big hazard sign. Tanae says he's another guy with regional success that wants to show it on the big stage. Bischoff talks more about Savage's future as Luger comes out to a pop. He's been kind of quiet and overlooked lately. We haven't seen a ton from him. Bischoff doubts Luger can rack Roadblock, but he starts hot. He hammers away in the corner, lays in some clotheslines, knocks Roadblock to the floor. Tanae talks about how Anderson's coming for revenge on Luger because he cost him war games. Luger follows out, batters a big boy outside. 
Arn joins us via inset promo and issues his warnings to Luger. In comes Roadblock, clubbing back with strikes and a knee drop. He hits a splash in the corner, working the ribs. Bischoff apologizes to Sting and basically begs him to come back and lead WCW. Battles back again. He slams Roadblock with a uh, hard to the mat with a big body slam. Tries to rack him, but he drops him. So he says, all right, let's try it again. And again, he can't do it. So this time he fires up a third time. And in an awesome spot, he gets him up and wins. I loved it. Um, I didn't think it felt botched or anything. I feel like this is just a big load to lift up, but it took him a few tries to do it. And then he does it, and the crowd pops big time. So the match is whatever, but the finish was what made Luger look like an animal. Uh, I would expect that he should just mow through Arn at Havoc and set him up because we need top faces here. Arn's kind of whatever at this point, so especially the horseman kind of scuffling. So I, I would expect going into this that this is like Luger, you know, I don't want to say squashing him, but he should come out of that match looking very strong uh, at Havoc. So I went two stars on this one, and I think he's hyped and ready for the big match with Arn. Yeah, man, star and Havoc, it's all about the finish. Luger actually tweeted – uh, a couple of days ago from when this pocket's released, uh, somebody had the clip of him racking roadblock. Mm-hmm. And he tweeted it was the toughest rack he ever had to do. Oh, I'm sure. It was or not. It was, it was interesting. It it's was, probably it up there. I, don't, I can't think of we, many other. We're watching it. Yeah. Uh, Luger's overall placement right now on the show is, is odd. Um, the whole feud with Arn. I mean, it kind of stems from the War Games match and I mm-hmm. guess Sting, but it's like, I mean, Sting don't give enough of a shit. Like, Warren is Arn and right. Luger. It's, 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 a, it's kind of a needless feud. It's also two guys that I've never thought had that much in-ring chemistry with each other. So, again, like the match at Halloween Havoc, I don't recall it. So, I'm interested in watching it just from, a, you know, will they over exceed my expectations or not standpoint. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, and I, and I really don't know, like I'm kind of interested to see when uh, Luger does get involved in something yes. more heated. Cause I feel like it's a while. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of disappointing because uh, it's, it's almost from when he debuts on the first Nitro to war games. I mean, you can make an argument. He's kind of been consistently the MVP. Right. Uh, as far as being the most consistent, probably him or flair, um, you know, maybe savage mixed in, but, uh, but savage does have some of the Hogan stink stuff. Mm-hmm. That I think, uh, doesn't prevail with Luger. So yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is one of those matches that it's mainly would be used now for GIF purposes, right? Um, but uh, it's it was fine. Well, it's weird because I feel like the one problem with WCW in the stretch, where as good as they were and on point as they were, sometimes things felt like they existed in their own universe, which wasn't great. Like this is like an all company kind of like feud. And on one hand, you got Bischoff begging Sting and saying, and they're saying, we need a leader. Who could it be? And like, then you got Luger just like destroying guys. <laughs> like he's the top, you know, super over. Like, why isn't he being positioned that way? It's like they, they wanted to slow burn stuff, but sometimes it didn't really go in accordance to like other stuff going on. Like, give us a reason why Luger's not there yet. Like, even if they come out and say, look, we know Luger's red hot. We know he's got what it takes and we know we're desperate, but he screwed us in the past. Like, so we don't right. fully trust him yet in this role. We yeah. need to see even more. And now Sting's not here to vouch for him. Like, just give us that so we can understand why Luger's working to impress and, you know, try and prove himself. Versus right now, it's like you go Larry crying that they got no leaders and then you go Luger destroying guys. It's like it just makes no sense that he wouldn't be immediately pushed into a title match with Hogan. Yeah, there is a disconnect there for sure. Um 
I mean, the whole, I think it's also, I mean, this whole feud, like, him and Arn, it just feels like they should be able to, uh, like, their their issue with each other doesn't feel heated enough that right. they couldn't forego that to kind of come together for the common enemy. So. Agreed. Agreed. All right, we get an NWO paid out, as usual, uh, by the shirt. Mm-hmm. So that's up there. We think of Lee Marshall with the 1-800-COLLECT road report. He's in Phoenix. He's enjoying the sunset. Next week, Nitro is in the America West Arena. Tickets are available. He says temperatures are in the mid-70s, and he has some college reunion parties uh, to go to. He's going to celebrate the undefeated Arizona State Sun Devils. And Bobby <laughs> says they should leave him out in the desert. Um, so I think this is, we're starting to get the little Bobby Lee jabs uh, now that we're rolling on these, and uh, they're fine. I always enjoy the, the road reports. No, this was a big year for Arizona mm-hmm. State. Probably their best year ever they went 11 and one is this plumber yeah jake the snake they uh they lost the only game they lost was the rose bowl Mm -hmm. uh to ohio state it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting game because they lost the rose bowl 17 to 20 the uh national champion for the year is florida who loses to Florida State in the regular season, then beats Florida State, and I think either the Sugar or Orange Bowl, can't remember where they played. But the, so then Florida gets crowned national champion. Mm-hmm. Good. I mean, if if they'd have won the Rose Bowl, Arizona State would have been the national champion for <laughs> That's sure. It's crazy. Yeah. Yep. They led 17-14 with 1:47 left in Oof. the fourth quarter, so oh. a minute 47 away from being national champion. That's a tough loss right there. That is tough. Because, I mean, they've never, I mean, they've never been close to that. Right, right. <laughs> Again, and Plummer yeah. doesn't end up doing much in the NFL either. Does he go to yeah. Arizona? Does he go to the Cardinals? Yeah. He does, right? I believe. I know eventually. I remember him with the Broncos, but that's later. All right. Back to the ring we go. We get some tag team actions. The American Males take on Harlem Heat, our old rivalry here that we've seen a couple times. Eric Bischoff congratulates the Braves on their big win over the Yankees as they're making it a habit. Of Atlanta beating up on New York, <laughs> mm-hmm. and today cracks up. Bobby ignores it. Uh, Bischoff says the Braves are four to one tonight, looking good. As uh, he tries to get Bobby to join in, but Bobby just says Gene Budig will be in the presidential box for Game Four, or I'm sorry, Bobby will be with Gene Budig in the uh, presidential box for Game Four. What game was this? Was this? This was Game Two. Okay, so, so this is when they go up 2-0. Yeah, so Bobby was in the box for the Larry's home run, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think you can uh, go ahead and. As a Braves fan, blame Eric Bischoff for putting the stink on your team in this World <laughs> Series because he's right. super confident here. They're about to go sure. up to nothing, and then sure. the world collapses under them. <laughs> All right, these old rival teams, like I said, they're back at it. It's non-title this time. Havoc is uh, Havoc. Harlem Heat is locked in at Havoc to defend against the Outsiders, so they don't want to put the belts up. We don't want to repeat. I actually like this as a t- nice touch because this is what happened a year ago, if you remember. They lost the belts like right before the pay-per-view to the right. males, so they don't want to repeat of that. Bischoff talks about how the fans and WCW has a lot of supporters. It's not all NWO out there. Bobby says the WCW locker room is bonding more even than just a week ago. Bischoff says the Brave score is now uh, actually 4 nothing, not 4-1. to one. It's another spanking. And Bobby says Bischoff just likes to win. And I should say he should slow his roll. Stevie and Riggs <laughs> start off as Tanay reminds us that the males uh, upsetting Harlem Heat a little over a year ago. Stevie battles, uh, batters Riggs with power offense. Bischoff apologizes again, this time to Savage and his family. Says his intentions were good, even if it ended up being the wrong approach. He says he's never more disgusted in Hogan as a con man and a manipulator than using Elizabeth this way. 
Bagwell and Booker both get tagged in. Bagwell hip tosses him outside. He pours it onto the ring. After the break, the males are in control, working Stevie's arm. Nick Patrick is the ref here. Bischoff talks about him a bit. Bischoff says the NWO want their own segment after war games and now want their own show. And he says the deal's a deal. They're giving them Saturday night twice a month, but now they want Nitro and they're petitioning Time Warner for it. Stevie, it's a nice power bomb. We see Hall and Nash watching from the stands, recording the action. Booker gets two on a clothesline. The champs keep picking apart Bagwell. Real slow pace here. Hall and Nash have uh, breathe right strips on to mock Harlem Heat as Booker knifes through Bagwell with a back elbow. Bagwell drop kicks Booker as he comes off the top rope. The males work together. They hit a nice double drop kick, but Patrick shoves Bagwell out of the ring. Parker and Riggs get into it, and Booker hits a sidekick and covers Bagwell. No, I'm sorry, Bagwell stands there watching. Then he tries to break it up. It uh, seems like a two count, but ends up being uh, three. So I guess it's Patrick controversy, but I think it was just a botch, the way he stands there and watches. Yeah. Uh, Bischoff says he heard Sting is in the building, but it's not what you think. And we could have big news tonight and mentions Ted DiBiase's money. So a lot of weird hints. He drops in before the break. I thought the match was kind of boring. It uh, didn't really feel very smooth. Males had some decent offense uh, and some good spots, but the flow was very clunky, which, I don't know, is a trend sometimes in these Harlem Heat matches. And I thought Bagwell looked like an idiot, unless you're going to play it up later on something. But for now, he looks like an idiot just standing there watching as Riggs gets pinned. Uh, so Heat are ready for Havoc, but uh, just a two-and-a-quarter star match for me. All right. I went – what did I end up going? I went two-and-a-quarter as well. There were some decent spots with this. Uh, I tell you what, I I, uh, I pulled up Arizona State. It is sad. <laughs> <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole. They've only been right like five times since 1996 at the end of your poll. So it's it really was like that it was a magical season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, as far as this was, I mean a lot of, a lot of aired commentary I thought throughout this match. Um, as far as the actual power stuff, I, I thought Harlem Heat looked good. I thought I thought they did a good job of kind of staying focused and them conveying that where they could have been very distracted with the outsiders uh, kind of coming out below the NWO banner. But no, they, they keep it together. Booker hits the flying forearm. Um, Bagwell does catch him off the top of the drop. Then once uh, kind of the, the mayhem happens with Sister Sherry getting on the apron, uh, grabbing Scotty Riggs and Parker taking a pretty good bump off of the shot he gets, uh, they immediately capitalize with the sidekick to gain the win. So two and a quarter, you know, uh, kind of your general, um, I mean, this, this sort of actually felt a lot of ways. Because, um, I mean, it wasn't great. It wasn't awful. It's kind of just there. But it does advance the uh, tag team match at Halloween Havoc, which is another one I'm interested in seeing. I mean, really, Halloween Havoc, this whole card is one I'm not as familiar with as you mm-hmm. might think. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. All right. Let's head right back to the ring for more tag team action as the Fantastics are in the house, Chad, <laughs> taking on yes. the Spaces of Fear out of nowhere here. Uh, Bischoff says the rumors are wrong. It was the NWO Sting, which we already knew. We saw him twice. Uh, and he'll be wrestling tonight. He sounds despondent about that. Out come the Fantastics out of the grave. Uh, looks like they may be headed back to it, though, quickly because they're against the Faces of Fear, who've been red hot. They're prepping for their war with the Horsemen on Sunday. 
Bischoff gives a shout out to Kevin Green, says he's having an all pro season. Ming starts with Fulton, throws him around with ease, says none of the announcers give these guys a chance at all in this match. They're basically saying they're going to get wrecked. <laughs> Bischoff says he has footage to show Savage about what Hogan's up to and what kind of manipulator he is to prove to everyone what he's about. Face of Fear, double, uh, Fantastics double up and land a shot on Ming, but Ming no sells all their offense. In comes Barbarian, hits a big power bomb. Bischoff says the Braves are still up for nothing as Barbarian snaps off a backbreaker, just a complete uh, dismantling. Today says the Fantastic been wrestling in regional and overseas promotions, but this is too much of a challenge. Barbarian flings Rogers around. The crowd is pretty quiet. You could tell that it's waiting for the NBO again. Ming hits a nice back suplex, follows with a pile driver, but Rogers makes a save. Uh, instead of just letting Fulton just die, the face of fear had a double headbutt. As Bischoff says, he has more info, and the NWO may get a special surprise later, and they better be ready. But he won't tell Tanae and Bobby what the deal is. The NWO has bought time for NWO Sting to wrestle, but they may not like what comes of it. Fulton tries to come back and tags Rogers. He comes in with a flurry. That's short-lived. They work together, get a double backdrop on Barbarian. The double-team offense finally has a little bit of life. They hit a missile dropkick for two. Fulton dives at Barbarian, but Barbarian catches him, and Ming kicks him in the head to win. So basically a squash, but it was pretty fun. The face of fear had been on fire, and I could watch them just destroy teams all day. Fantastic. It's good for this stuff, too. They get name value. They could bump and sell. Uh, they know what to do. So that said, I thought the crowd just sucked tonight uh, here. They're not giving anything. Mankato, hopefully they're not rushing back to Mankato anytime soon. Uh, they did not have any enjoyment watching the Faces of Fear throw guys around. So two and a half stars, a good warm-up for them uh, ahead of the horsemen. Yeah, I'm, I'll look at when we come back to Mankato in a little bit. But hopefully I don't never. believe it's I don't believe it's recent. Uh, I mean, the Fantastics, to be honest, it's kind of that same thing as the uh, Rock and Roll Express when they come out there. I mean, they just look old, like especially Bobby Fulton. Good Lord. He looked really ancient. Mm -hmm. um, they also come out to a very weird generic, like, put me in coach. That might have been network. It was it was pretty bad. It may have been network. I was wondering, but it was it, either way. It was awful. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as the squash, it was good. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like Mean taking over uh, was very good. Uh, when Barb gets the tag and he gets the backdrop from Mean, powerbomb by Barb, Barbarian, uh, backbreaker by Barbarian, all that looked very, very brutal. Yep. Uh, running power slam in the corner and a pile driver. I mean, they kind of really opened up the arsenal on them. Um, so that was good to do. And then the fans, they get a very brief kind of, um, you know, hope spot, but eventually get called in the power slam and kick. So pretty easy win for Faces of Fear overall. Uh, but it was a fun squash fight lasted. I went two and a half. Yeah, I'm a fan of them bringing in, even if it's just like little spots here and there, if they're not fully signed, but dudes like Fantastics, Graffiti, like even Roadblock, a regional guy, like using them time to time on Nitro just gives a little bit more pizzazz than using jobbers, right? Like this, these guys have no chance, but at least they, some of them are name value. They have gimmicks, they have looks. Like it just makes it feel like more like name matches and they're guys that can give you a little bit more. It's similar to what Dodef is doing with smothers and you know uh, tony anthony and those guys right yeah um these, these dudes are presented a little more seriously than than those guys are but uh it's a good strategy especially when you can just bring them in on a regional basis here and there so i, I like that trend that they do on nitro i did like uh jimmy at the end calling deborah bleach blonde too <laughs> that was interesting calling deborah mcmichael to set up the uh <laughs> halloween havoc match 
get heat on that, I guess. All right. Uh, Bischoff, Heenan, and Tanay reset us. Bischoff says we have exciting stuff coming up tonight. Better than expected as the information continues to roll in. Bischoff again apologizes to Savage. We revisit the full Elizabeth video and Savage storming off from last week. So we eat some time up with that. Bischoff says he feels like he cut out Savage's heart, but tonight he'll have different footage to show how low class Hogan is and says if Savage could pull himself out of this and get the ring, he could be just what WCW needs. Uh, any thoughts uh, on them revisiting this? No, I mean, it was it was such a good angle. It wasn't awful to reshow it, so that was fine. Yeah, as I suspected, they don't come back at all in 1997. Uh, when they do come back in 1998, they're given the Saturday night worldwide treatment. So there you go. Okay. All right. Never, never another nitro in Mankato. Thank God. Yeah. This crowd has been terrible. I don't think I don't think WWF runs there. No, I don't remember them ever being there. Yeah. Yeah. This is this, this uh, show killed the killed the territory. Actually, I'd say the territory. The territory screwed the territory. It's yes. uh, yeah, SmackDown SmackDown House Show in 2002, but I'm not seeing anything else. So Even that's go. good for them. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the ring. As JL comes out, he's still hanging around, and he's taking mm-hmm. on NWO Sting. Uh, NWO Sting comes out to man called Sting, but doesn't even get the fake pop. That's how dead this crowd is. <laughs> like they don't even trick. Uh, or care enough uh, we get more elizabeth talk about how things played out the nwo and her and all that uh signing with them the nwo piles out of the crowd bishop says they're prepared they have security they knew this would happen bobby says bye but he doesn't run away uh the nwo goes to ringside to watch their guy bishop says hogan's not here but maybe he didn't show up because savage was scheduled jl floats over and tries to scamper but fake sting catches him and slams him hard to the mat he hits a stinger splash and fishes jl with the scorpion um uh, but then after, like, JL just sits there and looks around until he gets to the post-match, which was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really do much else. This really is a waste of JL. Like, I thought they should have used a jobber uh, here. Not that he's got much name cachet, but he can still work. Like, what are we doing? Like, this is the spot to use a no-name. Uh, just a simple squash. I want a quarter star of the match, and then we'll get to the post-match. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's more to add. I, I didn't even necessarily think about the usage of jl because i was invested in the post-match but mm-hmm. i mean i guess you might could have put somebody more weenie in there right just whatever any bum stick a bum in there <laughs> like that's where you pull a guy off the street because then you can explain it oh nwo doesn't want to give any competition like whatever. right i mean like right it's explainable like why are we sacrificing jl who can still be valuable and then sure. him just laying in the scorpion at the end <laughs> looks stupid. Well, I think that was just him kind of botching the timing. But yeah, right. yeah, just look, look dumb. Uh, Sting shows uh, the real Sting shows up. He's in all black clothing. He's got white face paint. He grabs NWO Sting out of the scorpion as JL looks at him. Just again, awkward timing. The NWO watches as Sting hits a reverse DDT at a big elbow on fake Sting. That finally gets a pop. Bobby says Sting has the NWO colors on, and the NWO is just watching him. They're not getting involved. Sting gets a Stinger splash. He puts on the Scorpion. The NWO get in the ring. They circle Sting, and DiBiase greets him. And then he rants a little bit that Sting should join the NWO, become family. Nash tells Sting to break on through to the other side. And Hall says Sting carried WCW's banner for nine years. He did a great job, and he's got nothing to show for it. The NWO brought out a bogus imposter, something Hall and Nash know better than anyone. That's a good dig. And they knew it would get Sting... 
And the WCW told him to stick it. They are taking over, and with Sting, nothing can stop them. And if he joins the NWO, it's NWO for life. Sting takes the mic. He says, uh, NWO Sting's a cheap invitation, and you get what you pay for. The real Sting may or may not be in the NWO's price range, but the only thing that's for sure is that nothing is for sure. And then he walks off as everyone's confused. Uh, again, I think this is good as far as keeping the mystery burning for Sting. We do get some movement out of this. Um, it is a little confusing, but it's okay. Uh, and then you get the poor cucked NWO Sting. Like, he celebrates after. Like, obviously desperate to stay with the with the group, be part of the gang. But it, it did make him look like kind of a bitch. That they all talk shit about him. And then he celebrates after. Uh, Bischoff says that Savage is here as we cut the break. The uh, All right, so what did you think of all this? I didn't remember Sting talking after like after his post-Fall Brawl promo. No. So I, this actually caught me off guard when he talked and cut the promo. I'm guessing this is it now um, for a while, but we'll see where it, where it leads. Yeah, I didn't even remember him coming back like this early. I mean, it's been four weeks, but it still felt earlier than I remembered. I, I really liked the segment, though. I, I, I thought like him kind of explaining that made sense. Uh, mm-hmm. His looks kind of a primitive version of Crow Sting, but, um, you know, definitely pretty jarring to see him just in the all black and the white face paint uh from where we've been i mean because before he'd only kind of started growing out his hair that was all we had right uh i mean the nwo sting like yeah he he's a bitch but it, i mean they play that all so i thought this kind of played into that because i mean they never officially named him as a member Mm-hmm. They named six six. Right. He was actually the seventh person associated with him. So that was fine. I mean, I, I it's like Milton can, just keeps keeps showing up to work if there was not employed. Yeah, or, I mean, yeah. I think you can just see that he was like their lackey. Like they right. always kind of wanted like a lackey character, and that's what NWO Sting was. Um, so he's fine in that regard. But yeah, as far as the segment, I thought it was exciting. I mean, the most exciting stuff on this show for me. Yeah, for sure. All right, we got a big match on paper as our main event, and that is Chris Benoit taking on Randy Savage. But you could tell, given where we're at, the time left, and the fact that we've been promised some big footage, yeah. uh, that this will probably be mainly storyline. Tonight says Bischoff went backstage to talk to Savage. Out comes Benoit. Savage's music starts, but no sign of Savage. He finally emerges, but he has no gear on. He's wearing all black leather street clothes. <laughs> N.W. Uh, Savage. A pretty obviously uh, a bizarre look here. He's got the cowboy, mm-hmm. black cowboy hat on. It's it's a weird look. Uh, no match. Benoit leaves. Bischoff shows up in the aisle. He tells Savage he has something to show him to prove what Hogan is up to. We then get an NWO paid ad. It's Hulk Hogan on set at Three Ninjas. He's in full costume. He's got the wig on, no mustache. He says, soon we'll see Liz's cameo that was promised. Hogan talks to the director, Sean McNamara, about business. He says his schedule's too busy, and with his name on the film, he doesn't want to see one penny over budget. The NWO is taking over the film. Sean kind of plays into it. He's not sure what's going on. In comes the Giant. He's the new director. Hogan's the new producer. Sean steps away. We see Giant directing a scene between Hogan and Liz, with Hogan telling her to talk right to Randy and make them believe. He's berating her to make Randy believe that she loves him. Liz begs him to stop, but Hogan wants to lead the lamb to slaughter, and Liz is going to be the bait. Liz says no, and Hogan bitches her out. Hogan says they're spending $100,000 an hour, and Liz is screwing around. Hogan says he wants Savage's head on a platter. Liz says Hogan has ruined her life for a second time, which is a funny line. Hogan (laughs) tells Giant to put her in the trailer because there's people around. Hogan comes into the trailer. He's berating her again. He tells her to stop playing games. She's embarrassing him. He tells her to make Randy believe that she loves him, but she keeps 
begging to be left alone. We cut outside and Hogan tells Giant he's the greatest director he's ever worked with and he'll destroy Savage. Giant says this is the end of Macho Madness. Hogan says they planned the work and now working the plan and Liz needs more rehearsal time. Hogan says he has to give Liz acting skills. She'll be thinking of him, international superstar. Uh, this is just awesome stuff. Just like Hogan's on fire. Just what a piece of shit as a heel. Just bullying Liz. And I thought they actually did a good job like not crossing the line and making it degrading you know what i mean like it's he's just being like a real prick trying to um you know whatever i don't say bezel but whatever, you know use her as uh extort extort her right in this way but it's not like um i don't know he's not being demeaning or like sexually demeaning or anything like that so it's it's like right on the line of you can really hate hogan but it doesn't feel like it's like cringy to watch back like some stuff in this era uh, we go back to the arena Bischoff says Hogan's ego and his past with Savage is playing into Hogan pushing his buttons. Bischoff says Liz is real despite what Hogan says. Savage just stares into the distance. Bischoff begs for answers. And Savage walks off. Bischoff apologizes to Benoit. <laughs> Savage is ready. I think that's clear. Uh, Savage walks back over and starts to talk. He's very subdued. He says relationships and friendships are fragile. And both Bischoff and he know how fragile business is as well. Marriage is fragile too. But he tells Hogan life is fragile and then just walks off. Bischoff is worried that this is getting out of control. He saunters back as we fade out in silence. Uh and this was our go home to Havoc. So this is it. Yeah. We, we have a de- depressed Savage. We don't know if he's even going to show up. Uh, Hogan's a big prick bastard. A lot of open questions. Will Savage be ready for Sunday? I think maybe this is a little too hot. The story had good subtlety regarding Hogan forcing and using Liz. So while I liked him coming off as a prick, um, you know, or maybe it's fine because this is kind of the last hurrah anyway of it. So maybe it is time for the big reveal. Uh, and they really wanted to get the point across going into the go home. Hogan wants to completely destroy Savage. Uh, and I would say it's really a funny turnaround because back in March, the shows were solid and Hogan would tank them. And now he's saving like average mediocre shows because he's so good in this character um, that this like kind of almost saves the back end of this Nitro uh, overall, which is filled with just a lot of I, I think we we talked about the concern about this. It was a real long gap between Fall Brawl and Havoc. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think they have struggled a little bit to fill the time. They've really stretched out this Hogan Savage stuff. We've had a lot of meaningless matches week to week, um, but Hogan is so locked in now. He's definitely carrying things. So what do you think of this whole piece of business to head us home? So havoc. I, th- I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it kind of tied in a few things. One, in some ways it makes sense why giant would join the NWO. Cause you do see like he's more prominent in movies and stuff like that. So if that was something he was interested in, he that is coming to fruition. So that makes sense. Uh, the whole stuff with Savage and Hogan, it's been very personal. Um, but I like that, you know, I mean, obviously they feuded so much, uh, between 89 and 90 that this could have felt like a very, you know, bad sequel in some ways and they've really taken it in kind of a different Mm -hmm. direction but with the same principles to make it intriguing still um so it's you know i I thought this created intrigue i thought this was one of the strong segments on the show and i I agree like i i didn't think this show was bad but i thought for sure like hogan's involvement now is a clear elevation to the shows where before it was a clear subtraction from the overall enjoyment so a remarked improvement and we'll see how havoc plays out because i'm curious how they can do this match while playing into savage's 
state of mind here, right? Like, are they going to just forget it? <laughs> are they going to play right. on it? Like, how is that match going to be? So uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, yeah. they've definitely built, spent a lot of time building this for sure. But the good thing is, too, it's not wasted. Like, I shouldn't say wasted. The build isn't just for the match. Like, they've done a lot of character growth for Hogan, too, in this. So it's yeah, stuff that's sure. going to pay off beyond just a one match. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our awards. Uh, match of the night, believe it or not, for me, was Malenko versus Graffiti. Yeah, mine was, too. All right. Uh, I'm with the NWO on, on the movie set for the moment. Uh, my moment was Sting coming out. Yeah, that was good, too. Uh, I went with Hogan, though, for MVP, because he was just amazing in that. Uh, I actually went with Sting as well. Bastard. All right, uh, any commentary lines you noted? Yeah, a couple. Larry said that outfit is a blue light special. I think that was regard to Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they should take him and leave him in the desert, like you said, with Lee Marshall and Bobby. Uh, big win over New York, kind of making that a habit. That was Eric. And then Bobby said that Parker and Sherry remind him of Donna and Wolfman. That's a <laughs> yeah, nice uh, That's a nice Atlanta local shout out where there was a furniture store that ran commercials all the time as a kid. And uh, Wolfman and Donna, Wolfman was the owner, Donna was his daughter, and uh, they would always end up their commercials where he'd say, ask for the Wolfman, and uh, she'd say, no, ask for Donna, and stuff like that, so... Okay, (laughs) quit the the comp. Brought me back. If you you grew up as a kid in Atlanta, like Chris Zelder, I'm sure, is all over Wolfman (laughs) and Donna, like absolutely knows who that is, so... Uh, shots fired. You mentioned it as Bischoff saying Atlanta has been beating New York. And then also Hall and Nash mentioning the cheap knockoffs. Uh, you know, we're used to that around here or whatever. So that's right. good. Uh, debuts. We had a few, we had graffiti, we had roadblock and the fantastics. I miss anyone there. I think that's it. Okay. That's all I have. Uh, no dropped angles. The road report was in Phoenix and final grade. I still stayed a little bit high just because the Nitros are so smooth to watch right now. The, there's so much happening on commentary that adds a lot to it. So even if these matches or squashes are aimless, like you really have to be dialed in to follow along with the storylines. And the Hogan thing to me put it over the top. Sting's arrival. So I still had this as a slight nod above Raw. Uh, probably close, closer, though, than we usually get. Uh, so I went 7 out of 10 on Nitro. I'd gone 6.5 on Raw. So close. Yeah, we're in the exact reverse. I went seven on Nitro, six and a half on, or seven on Raw, six and a half on Nitro. Mm. So it must I mean, be a first Raw was, win in a while, right? I believe, yeah, they were tied. Or did I end up having uh, Raw ahead last week? I think they were tied. But yeah, this is the first Raw win, and I don't even know how long. Probably. Uh, I think since the last, since the last, uh, the hall debut night. Right. Yep. All right. Let's get to our combo awards. Uh, best show then we're, we're pretty much dead knotted here. Do you want to go? What's your best segment? Is it Brett? Is it sting? Uh, Brett should win best segment. So let's give raw then the win. Let's give raw the win then. So, I mean, that's, he's got the biggest stuff. So he should definitely get, get all that. Uh, or raw should get the benefit of the doubt there. So that's our first raw win. Since May 27th, again, ironically enough, the night of uh, the end of, of the uh, Scott Hall's invasion. So that's uh, Raw actually won that night, and they've won. WF has won nothing since. No pay per view and no uh, weekly TV. 
before that, they had won a, you know, a, a couple in early April. So it hadn't been as long before that 527 win. But And they won the May pay-per-view, too. So really, mm-hmm. since June started, this is their first win. And even that's, like, close. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see when they, if they can keep any momentum going. Uh, best match, I had Malenko versus Graffiti not noted. Yeah, I think, I think that'll be the best match. Yep. A segment we said was Hart's Return. Star of the mm-hmm. Night is Bret Hart. Commentary, how are you feeling on this one? I don't really have a. I don't. I don't think either did anything that was either annoying or overly great. So let's go with Nitro. I think they just get more in. They tell a lot of stories. Bischoff can be grading with stuff, uh, but I thought he was okay here. And they just mm-hmm. kept so much other stuff to get involved in all these matches. And I thought Tony was good as always too. So. All right. And I'm assuming Nitro in the ratings. Obviously. Yeah, of course. But. Uh, it's, it's a little interesting. So last week's raw rating was awful, mm-hmm. 1.8. Um, so it raised up to 2.6. All right, so, so big good, bump off the paper. Good, and Brett, good, and perfect. Yeah, yep, I would say Brett. I think I want to look as observer for the quarter hour, but I would right. mainly put Brett there. Uh, Nitro remained pretty flat, like 3.3 on the 10.14, 3.2 here. Mm-hmm. So pretty flat, but yeah, I mean that. So in retrospect, that night, uh, that raw rating, two point six. Oh boy, uh, February third <laughs> of ninety seven, they equal it. So uh, from now until then, it's below. Yeah, and then they won't beat it until March thirty first wow. with a two point seven. So yeah, I mean this is the best raw rating in you know six months here. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is it's like it must be lapsed fans because Nitro didn't see any attrition. So it's fans now, that yeah. tuned out Raw and now came back for Brett but weren't impressed enough with what was going on, I guess. Um, and then they dipped back out for a while. So. Yep, that's the old adage. I mean, you know, they've been – I think the 1-8 was a little bit of an aberration. That's pretty much them bottling out. I mean, they kind of did that a couple more times we'll get to, but – yeah, yeah, I mean, they. I, I would say significantly they went from an average of like a two one two two. Now they went to two six. Uh, I would, I would guess mostly just to see what Brett had to say. Right, right. Okay. All right. So we'll see how that continues to play out. Of course, uh, you know, we mentioned it before, but I think we're out of the dirty of doldrums. I think we've hit rock bottom now, and I think we'll start to at least be on an upward trajectory as far as entertainment value. I mean, I'm not saying ratings wise, but. Um, as far as like the show quality, I think we're in a, a better spot now than we've been in a while. So, and we'll see how Nitro bounces too. I'm curious the rating for the night after Havoc, but we do have that business to take care of. So in two weeks' time, we will be back with Halloween Havoc 1996. Looking forward, like you said, I think for both of us, it's a show we can remember uh, super in depth. I think it's almost overlooked and forgotten a bit to time during the stretch of, of uh, WCW pay-per-views. So let's see how that plays out. We'll see how the Hogan Savage stuff goes. Will Sting show up? There's a lot of questions. And then uh, a month from now, we'll we'll bounce back with the follow-up to this as well. So uh, that's it. We're out of here. Everyone take care. Smell the napalm. We'll talk to you soon.